<sighs> so, what was your day like? It was long. Yeah? It was long. It started out in this hotel. So, around 7.30, myself and my colleagues, we, um, we, had, we had breakfast, but it was kind of like a mini like rehearsal slash strategy. It was kind of, it was, yeah, so it started around 7.30 this morning in the, in the hotel room here in um, uh, Harrisburg. We had a, um, like a strategy session. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was myself and uh, three exonerees from mm-hmm. Pennsylvania and uh, some of the other members of our coalition. And we, we met and we talked about how we were going to do the meetings with the elected officials, you know, just the order. We can't have everybody just like randomly speaking and just out of turn, just kind of like organized things. And then we headed over to the Capitol, and from 9 o'clock until about 5.30, we had about uh, 14 meetings with elected officials. Wow. So it was a long day. <laughs> it was a long day, and we capped it off with a little dinner, and uh, just to try to unwind a bit. All right. So... Deskovic. 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 Jeffrey Deskovic. Jeffrey Deskovic. Uh, so, you'd, uh, you got your um, degree in law. Oh, so, oh, okay. You're like a lawyer now, right? All right, so I graduated, well, I graduated law school in May, and I took the bar exam, and I'm waiting for the results of the bar. So, until I get the results and do a couple of other technical things. I don't. I don't. I don't get the law license. Once I get the law license, um, I'll be a lawyer. Then at that point, so I'm just about a lawyer. Um, let me let me rewind back for a second. Sure. And just make sure that you're very welcome. I want you to feel very very welcome and very much who you are and accepted and really just everything. You know, no expectations. Fair no enough. expectations. Safe space. Say and do whatever you want. Gotcha. So, um, this is going to be episode 147 of Evolving with Corey Castle. And uh, we're, we're starting, we started already. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, tell me about you, man. I mean, I, like I said, I didn't really prepare it like it was an interview because I don't really do that. I really want... As much as as much as possible, I want to, because of knowing your story just a little bit from us talking backstage at that show, for us talking for that those minutes. That's all I knew, and I was like, all I want to do is be able to help somehow. If I can help somehow, just by letting you hold space with me and being exactly who you are and telling your exact tale, you know what I mean? Like yes. that's that's who you are. Like we're. Not, I'm not going to understand. We're not going to understand the, the listeners. We're not going to understand who you are unless you really just kind of lay it out. You know, get what I'm saying? I do. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so, grew up in New York, right? I did. I grew up in Westchester County, New York, in Peekskill, New York. Okay. In Westchester County. Yeah, the suburbs. All right. Cool. Cool. So, uh both parents? Did you have... Uh... I came... I, my single-parent household, my, my, I lived with my mother. I had a brother who was three and a half years younger than me, and we also uh, lived with my uh, grandmother. Okay. Yeah. 
I'm pretty familiar with that. Single single family of myself. Ah, we have Sing, a single single parent home. I mean, yes, but of course. Quite a quite a bit more siblings than just one. But yeah. okay. <laughs> so yeah, lived with my grandma too. We lived in her basement. Nice. Okay. Dealt dealt with all that stuff. We're we're just you know we're just we're just the same animals wearing different clothes. Correct. Yes. 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 So what what brought you to what brought you to the show that I was at. Sure. So you okay. and I were at uh, we were at Wrestling for Innocence mm-hmm. at uh, Tennessee, which was put on by um, Capital Wrestling with Anthony Anthony DePippo, and you know partnered with them to spotlight the Adam Brazil case, uh, which was a Tennessee case, which that's the state that that the show was held at, and of course the event was intended to raise awareness about his case, and at the time that the event was. Uh, organized, Adam Brazil was still wrongfully imprisoned at that point, and the way that things played out in court, he wound up being released a couple of days um, before that. Um, you know, he, uh, via no contender plea, which means that he he was released, but he protested his innocence, but he also uh, agreed not to contest the charges. So he was released, uh, albeit still um, with a record. You know, and he's, he's still looking to clear his name, but the, I think the main point for him was he was trying to go home. So that happened just before the event. So what was he in prison for? That that was a murder case. That was it was a, it was a, it was a murder. So the conviction was overturned uh, once, and uh, he was released. And then uh, the conviction was uh, re- reinstated by a higher court, which resulted in him being uh, re- reincarcerated. And so what triggered the uh, the, the, the hearing that he was granted, which as and the following, which he took the plea, was that um, you know a fingerprint was um, was was uh, matched up to an alternative suspect who looked like him, who had a car like him, wow. and that alternative suspect because uh, this was a, a murder of, of a police officer, wow. that alternative suspect had killed a cop in an unrelated incident, mm-hmm. and he had confessed to another person. So it's pretty clear cut that Adam Brazil was uh, was uh, innocent. Um, but you know the prosecutors were fighting, and uh, you know Adam decided to take this uh, you know no low contender plea. But that's uh, so that that's the backstory of the event because I know the listeners right. might not have that information. Right, right. Um, but taking it a half step back, what brought me to that event mm-hmm. uh, was my own story. So my story, uh, I'll give you the. Concise no man, you, you got you. All right. I have no time limit, so gotcha. I'm 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 here till you're done saying whatever you got to say. So please don't feel rushed. Don't feel like you got to condense everything. Be as detail oriented as you need to be, or okay. however you feel like your story can help someone. Absolutely, sure. So I was uh, exonerated. I was proven. I, I was I was grew up in Peekskill. I was exonerated. I, I served. I was. I served 16 years in prison. I was arrested when I was uh, 16 years old. Uh, I got bailed out. I turned 17 before the trial started, and uh, I was uh, wrongfully imprisoned from May 17 to 32. Uh, I was wrongfully convicted of a murder and rape. Uh, I was convicted even though the DNA didn't match me. My wrongful conviction was caused by a coerced false confession, prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, fraud by the medical examiner. My public defender basically didn't defend me. And uh, I 
lost seven appeals. I got turned out for parole. Ultimately, I was exonerated through further DNA testing through the data bank, the DNA data bank, which identified the actual perpetrator, whose DNA was only in the data bank because he killed a second victim three and a half years after killing the victim in my case. So another woman, uh, Patricia uh, Morrison, lost her life as a result of my being uh, wrongfully arrested and, and wrongfully convicted. Did you know the woman? What, the second victim? No, the original victim. The, uh, uh, yes, the original victim. The original victim, uh, Angel Correa. She was um, she was in two of my classes as a freshman, one as a sophomore. Okay, you were a teacher. Uh, no, I was oh, a you were, Oh, oh yeah, you were 16. You could have been, been a teacher. I could have been a teacher. Silly goose, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay, so she was in two of my classes as a freshman, one as a sophomore. I knew her name, she knew mine. That was the extent of it. <laughs> you know, we weren't friends. We didn't hang out out of school. She wasn't my girlfriend. I mean, that was, we weren't even really on a high-buy basis. Mm -hmm. So, in the course of the police investigation, the police interviewed uh, a lot of uh, a lot of students from the high school, uh, and some of them told the police they might want to talk to me, because I, I was quiet. I was to myself. I didn't really fit in. So, I, I guess the theory is, you know, quiet people who seem strange commit heinous crimes. I guess that was the mm -hmm. mindset. So the, uh, that put me on the police radar, and the police felt that I was uh, overly upset at the victim having been murdered. I mean, there hadn't been a murder in Peekskill for about 20 years, so it kind of upset everybody. I was kind of a sensitive teenager. That was my real first brush with death with someone that I knew. I mean, to me, death was something that happened after people that were like, lived a full life and were really, really old. Right. And um, I think that, you know, meeting the victim's family at wakes and the funeral, you know, I went to their house a couple times at their invitation, so they had kept the bedroom more the same as it was, you know, so I mean, and I saw some of the pictures, so it kind of brought her to life to me a little bit more than just as a classmate in the, in the high school. So that kind of added to my being kind of sentimental. Okay. But everybody really in the, in, in the city of Peekskill was... Kind of shook up emotion. Well, yeah, it was your community. It was our community. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were even offering, um, they were even offering uh, free uh, mental health services to anyone who wanted mm -hmm. it. Right. So the police felt like my their theory. What they said was they thought that my being emotional was some kind of outward display at my feeling remorseful of something that I did. Okay. So they made that leap, and so those two factors is how I got on their radar. They, they got a profile from the NYPD, and the profilers put together a psychological profile of what they thought the characteristics would be like of the actual criminal. And I had the misfortune of matching up mm -hmm. to that profile. You, you take a couple boxes, and then you're the guy. Correct. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like a reinforcing factor of the other two factors that we covered. Right. So... For about six weeks, the police played this cat-and-mouse game with me. Uh, half the time, they would talk to me like I was a suspect, and the other half the time, they would talk to me uh, pretending like I, they needed my help to solve the crime. So they would say things like, well, the kids won't talk freely around us, they will around you. Um, let us know if you hear anything. Mm -hmm. Stop in from time to time. 
they would ask me opinion questions and then congratulate me on my opinions being correct. They made me the center of attention. Before I was a teenager... Well, I mean... Go ahead. Question mark? Police work is human ma- manipulation. Mm-hmm. And then manipulating a child is way different. Manipulating a child to... to you know, when you have an ulterior, ulterior motive... Uh, when they're already thinking like you're a suspect, they're gonna manipulate you to think that they're gonna make you tick more boxes. You know what I mean? They're, the the boxes that they've already ticked for you, you're gonna check some more of those through manipulation. Right. So before I was a teenager, uh, you know, most most kids, you know, you have the career you fantasize about having before you, you know, before you're a teenager, and then. A lot of us, when we're teenagers, you have a different career that you want to want to be something else you want to be when you grow up. Mm-hmm. So for me, my the career I wanted before I was a teenager, uh, when I grew up, is I wanted to be a cop. So that directly intersected with the uh, good cop, bad cop technique that they played, where one officer pretended to be my friend, and the other one, you know, took on this. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, that intersected with. The, the with, with um, the theme, you know, Jeff is a junior investigator, detective helper. Mm-hmm. So like, that was, giving you the idea that you're deputized. And correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the other thing is that you know, I, I, coming from a single parent household where my father was never involved in my life, right. you know, I began to look up to the officer who was pretending to be my friend. Right. So like a, like a, a role model, figure. a role like model, a, a male father figure. figure. Yeah. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they did that for about six weeks. Uh, eventually, they got me to agree to take a lie detector test. Okay. So they said, "Hey, we got some new information. We want to share that with you, but you got to pass this polygraph first. We got to be sure that you didn't have anything to do with this, and then we can share the info." Because remember, the the dynamic of them interacting with me was half the time they're talking to me like I'm a suspect, and the other half the time they're when they push too hard and I start to get scared and withdrawn and want to get out of there. That's when they go back to Jeff as the junior detective mm. theme. So, kind of like how somebody would need to be cleared for security before they get some kind of classified information, mm-hmm. they pose to me like I have to pass this this lie detector test first. Right. So it's it's very it's very matter of fact. Just some like just some tiny hurdle to get to the to the to the. It's like a dangling a carrot in front of a. Uh, kind of a horse. Kind Correct. Of. Yeah, exactly. This non nonchalant, mm-hmm. you know, formality that has to be, you know, that's of no real moment or consequence. That That's the right. air that it took on. Right. So the next day, instead of going to the high school, I went to the police station for this uh, lie detector test where I had heard through the rumor mill that other people had taken lie detectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Instead, they drove me to the town of Brewster, which was in Putnam County. So they took me across county lines, about 40 minutes away. Um, I had no idea where I was going. Uh, my mother, neither my mother nor my grandmother had any idea of where I was going. So as far as they were concerned, I was in school. Right. So no reason to call around, look for me, or be alarmed. I'm mm-hmm. in school, so right. they think. Right. So there was three cops that came with me from Peekskill to Brewster, but there was also the polygraphist, the person doing the lie detector test. So he was a 
Daniel Stevens was a Putnam County Sheriff's investigator, and he was dressed as a civilian. He didn't let on that he was uh, a, a cop, so I never learned that he was a, a cop. So they gave me a four-page brochure detailing how the polygraph worked, and it had a lot of big words in it, which I didn't understand. But I thought, well, I'm here to help the police, so what does it matter? Mm-hmm. Let's just get on with it. So I, I didn't have an attorney present, and they didn't give me anything the entire time I was there. So I, when I finished with this brochure, they put me in the small room, and uh, the polygraphist started giving me many cups of coffee, which it seems pretty right. clear he was trying to get me wired up. Right, so someone, someone's, someone's super hungry, and then you give them a bunch of... And you're 16 years old. Correct. So... Uh, giving a, giving caffeine to a, a child is uh, <laughs> sure to get them crazy hyper. Correct. And it's going to get my pulse rate to speed up. So the whole premise of the polygraph is that when a person tells a lie that they'll uh, become nervous, the nervousness will result in an increased pulse rate, and it's the pulse rate which is measured by the machine. But other factors which would lead to an increased pulse rate, though, would include fear and caffeine. Mm-hmm. So the giving me the coffee was part of the setup. Mm-hmm. So from there, he attached me to this polygraph machine, and now I can't get up. I can't, you know, can barely you, stand up. So do you think that that was an effort to just put a collar on this sort of like to to arrest somebody for this murder? Like yeah, I mean I'm coming to that, but okay, yes, sorry, I, it's okay. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I I do. So they, they so they attach this machine to me, and then he starts his third degree tactics. So he invades my personal space. He uh, raises his voice at me. He keeps asking me the same questions over and over again. Hmm. And so he, you know, my fear is going up as each hour passes, and he keeps this up for uh, six and a half to seven hours. So towards the end, uh, he says, um, "What do you mean you didn't do it? You, you know, you just told me through the polygraph test result that you that you did. You know, we just want you to verbally uh, confirm this." Right. So that really shot my fear through the roof. Right. So uh, at that point, the uh, officer who had been pretending to be my friend, so he he comes in the room and he tells me that the other officers are going to harm me. That he. I'd been holding them off, but couldn't do so any longer, that I uh, had to help myself. Then he says that if I just uh, say what they want, that I'll, they'll stop what they're doing, that I could go home, that I'm not going to be arrested. So being young, naive, frightened, 16, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't thinking about the long term. I was only concerned with my safety in the moment. Mm-hmm. I was uh, in fear of my life because the fact that I didn't know where I was and no one else knew where I was either, it loomed very large in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there was the... Uh, was, uh, well, the, you were also not sure where you were. Correct, time. yes. And I felt overwhelmed emotionally and psychologically. And mm-hmm. then he's thrown me this false life preserver. Mm-hmm. And so I made up a story based on information which he had given me and that course of that uh, that interrogation that day and in a six weeks run up to it. Mm-hmm. So by the time it was all said and done, 
I was uh, curled up into a fetal position on the floor and I was uh, crying uncontrollably. And quite obviously, I was arrested. I was charged with uh, murder and rape. Right. So the before I went to trial, the results of the DNA test came in from the FBI lab, mm -hmm. which showed that the semen didn't match me. Mm -hmm. But instead of just dropping the case and you know refocusing the investigation, you had already confessed. Well, I had confessed, but that was before the DNA came out. But right. I'm saying when the DNA came out, I mean it's pretty clear cut. I was innocent. This must be a coerced false confession. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, to keep going with the case, the prosecutor got the medical examiner to commit fraud, and he claimed there was medical evidence that he forgot to document when he did the autopsy, that he claimed showed that this victim had been sexually active, and so she could have slept, the semen could have come from someone else that she had slept with before I murdered and raped her. But that's, that's ludicrous. That's... I agree. That's so... Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's true. I'm glad you're outraged. That, bother, that yeah. helps me that uh, you're bothered by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, that's... What, what year was this? This I'm was sorry. 1990. Oh, my goodness. Like, the... So, then taking his lie a step further, the prosecutor mentions another youth by name that he claims had probably slept with the victim, mm -hmm. whose semen it was, but he never tried to prove that. He didn't have, like, a DNA test performed. He didn't even call him as a witness. He just made the unsupported argument. Did you know who that other person was? Yes, it was another youth from the high school, but, you know, I, I that was, yeah, I mean, I had no idea what the prosecutor was claiming about any of that. Mm -hmm. um, was he also, like, a like a shy, weird, quiet kid like us? No, he was a, uh, he, uh, no, he was a, he was a rather popular uh, person. He was, he was a rather popular uh, person. So the cops said that there was a note found under her hand which referenced uh, his, his first name and said that uh, it referenced that, uh, that his eyes jumped out at her. And that, I think that was one of the things that like, attracted her to him. That's, a, that's some gift-wrapped evidence right there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so at the same time, this uh, public defender didn't... Uh, he basically didn't defend me. He never called my alibi as a witness. I was playing wiffle ball when the crime happened. Mm -hmm. He never tried to discredit. He never asked the medical examiner who committed the fraud. He never he never asked him a single question. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. uh, he didn't explain to the jury what the DNA not matching me meant. He never argued that that proved the confession was coerced and false. He should have never represented me because of uh, conflict of interest. So this other youth that the prosecutor was, was claiming had slept with the victim mm -hmm. was represented by another member of the Legal Aid Society, the Public Defender's Office. So that conflict prevented the defense from calling him as a witness to explode that myth. Mm -hmm. um, lastly... Um, well, another thing was before I had decided if I wanted to have a jury trial or a bench trial, which is decided by a judge, judge. Right. my lawyer came to me one day and said that um, the judge came to him off the record and told him to pick a jury because he didn't want to be responsible for finding me not guilty. And so 
my lawyer was supposed to put that on the record and ask the judge to recuse himself because it's not proper for him to restrict my choice. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the influence that that's an influence that you should not have as a as a as a um, defendant. A defendant at defendant, all, yeah. and also as a as a suspect, as a child, as a as somebody, you're also grief stricken. Right. Like on top of all of that, not just are you being accused of something, you're being accused of something, and you lost someone in your community who you weren't already yet in right. the I can handle this mode yet. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when I was uh, interrogated, like I spoke about before, the interrogation was not uh, videotaped. It was not audio taped. There was no written or signed confession. It was just the officer's word for it. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to leave out the threat and the false promise from their testimony. Right. So I wanted to take the stand and add those facts in and explain why did I confess to something I didn't do. But my lawyer wouldn't allow me to testify at the pre-trial hearing, and he wouldn't allow me to testify at the trial either. He said that it wasn't his job to prove that I was guilty. I'm excuse me. He said he, he said it wasn't his job to prove that I was innocent. That it was the prosecutor's job to prove that I was guilty, and he didn't think that it happened. So it's kind of a naive way to practice law. I mean, you have to try to right. prove your client right, innocent. Right. Well, you, well, you run. Oh, you run a risk that there could yeah. be a wrongful conviction. Well, as a champion in wrestling, the challenger has to beat you. You don't have to beat them. Correct. <laughs> right, that's exactly. A, yeah, that's, that's a, right. It's the same That is the same idea. principle, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. And so I added it all up. I was uh, wrongfully convicted. Right. I remember on the day of the sentencing, I begged the judge to overturn the verdict because I was innocent, and I referenced the DNA to support my contention, and he told me, uh, on the record, uh, you know, maybe you are innocent, but he nonetheless sentenced me to a, a term of imprisonment of 15 to life rather than exercising his power and overturning my conviction. There's such prison math that when it comes to years and you're served and you're like, can you unbox that a little bit? You know what? Sure, uh, sure. I'm not, I'm I'm really sure. unfamiliar. And yeah, I, so fifteen to life means that I would be I would have to serve fifteen years minimum, no matter what, right. to then go in front of the parole board for their consideration of whether they were going to release me or not. That's the fifteen. Fifth to life means that there was never going to be a point in time where they were legally obligated to release me. That's why it says life. So if they, if they turn me down, they could decide how much longer I should do before I appear in front of them. A- anywhere from a few months up to two years. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the two years, or three, however long they decided me to wait, so there was I could then appear in front of them, and they were, they would have the same option. So if they wanted to, they could keep denying me. Keep you in the system years. for the for, rest for, of your life. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. So because I had been charged as an adult... I was sent to a men's maximum security prison. And so I, you know, I did, I went to the parole board. I mean, I lost seven appeals. I went to the parole board. I got turned down for parole. And uh, ultimately, I had been um, uh, exonerated through further DNA testing through the data bank, which identified the actual perpetrator. 
popular jock kid that everybody liked. Not the pop. No, this was uh, the popular jock kid. The prosecutor made they that lie about was 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 innocent. Also, this this was a twenty nine year old uh, drug addict. Oh, so it was just some stranger. It was a stranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a stranger. And so, uh, you know, my walk of life after so, I was. I'm sorry. So mm-hmm. she did have sex with the jock kid. She did not. The semen was from her rapist who killed her. Okay. Who was this twenty nine year old? Okay. Right. I just wanted the juicy details on the jock kid. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's Sorry. Fine. It's okay. So, you know, I, so, you know I, I was released. I was exonerated. I was proven innocent. And I became an advocate from the point I was released and, you know, even up, up until now. So I was doing speaking engagements across the country and some internationally. I mean, I was a columnist for five years for a weekly newspaper, I've done a ton of radio, television, and print media interviews, and you know, I regularly meet with elected officials and uh, go to legislative hearings. Uh, basically, I, my goal is to fight wrongful convictions, so from, from raising awareness about the topic to seeking laws to prevent this from happening to other people. Uh, after about five years, I was uh, finally compensated. I used some of the money to start a uh, non-profit organization, uh, the Jeffrey Deskovic Foundation for Justice, uh, whose goal is to free people. So we freed seven people in six wow. years and mm-hmm. helped pass three laws. And then uh, uh, we passed three laws, that, uh, videotaping interrogation, identification procedures, and uh, DNA data bank uh, ex- expansion. And along the way, I've, uh, I've uh, also uh, completed some formal education. So... Um, I finished a bachelor's degree. I got a scholarship from Mercy College. I graduated with a master's degree from John Jay College. My thesis is written on wrongful conviction causes and reforms. And I just graduated law school this past May, and I took the bar exam. I'm waiting for the results. So I'm going to be an attorney so I can help free other people, but just as a lawyer, but um, but as a lawyer in, 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 in the case. So, so I'm an advisory board member of a larger coalition group. Um, it can happen to you. And We've um, passed a few laws also, the Commission on Prosecutor Conducts and Oversight Board for Prosecutors. So I've been home for about 12 years, and I make sense of everything that happened to me in this kaleidoscopic type of way. Like, I think that, think that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do in the world, and that was why I, I uh, went through what I did. So in the course of moving in that wrongful conviction space, I know I'm very friendly with a lot of the other exonerees, including Anthony DePippo. And actually, the same polygraph is, of course, the confession out of me framed him. So we have that. I, I don't comment. think I know him. I okay. mean, I may have met him. Gotcha. Uh, I think you might have been the only, uh, the only one from from the group that I had met oh, that, okay. that I day. I like see. I think, as I walked past, what was the, what was the man's name who this event was for? Oh, Adam Brazil. So when I walked past Adam Brazil, I had my my drum and I let him hit the drum. But oh, like, uh, but very nice. I didn't uh, I didn't really get a chance to talk to him or anything. Gotcha. Everything was show up, do the stuff you got to do, and go. So I didn't get a chance to really uh, have too much lengthy conversation. So like I wanted to have a conversation with you, but it was like as we started talking, mm-hmm. then someone came and escorted you away. That's true. Yeah, they wanted me to go from behind backstage. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, Anthony put on the event, and he asked me to show up at the event, and because uh, mm-hmm. he's shown up to a lot of events where I've spoken at. So that's what brought me down to Tennessee, which is where uh, you and I met. Right, right. 
So, question that I want to ask is, when it comes to when it comes to choosing exonerees or future exonerees or people mm-hmm. who you are candidates for yeah. your nonprofit, yes. How do you choose which cases to find? Like, mm-hmm. do they submit to you yes. somehow? And then you yes. look over everything and, and... Yeah, I understand your question. It's a good question. Yeah, so what happens is that they find me. I mean, I, every time I do make media appearances, I mean, the, pr- the people in New York... I'm, I'm kind of a legend in the New York State prison system because they know, people know I've, you know, was exonerated and I started this nonprofit organization and I've gotten, I've had some success at getting some people out. So uh, their friends and family hear of me through my through media interviews, so... Um, that's another way that people people hear about me, how they apply. So basically, they apply. I have about uh, 23 volunteers who, uh, you know, work with me. And um, and so they, uh, so we, we get, we collect, they fill out a questionnaire, we collect certain legal documents that allows us to assess whether or not we believe in their innocence claim or not. Mm-hmm. And we decide, like, which... Which cases can be won, mm-hmm. and so if we check the box, both so of those boxes, then we take. What's the case. rejection rate on that? Um, I would say maybe uh, maybe a good uh, maybe a good eighty percent. We say no to. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. So it's it, about twenty percent acceptance. It, 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 it's more about winnable cases. Yes. Than than it is the actual innocence. Is that it's both the it's decision. Both. It's both. It's it, no. It's both. If you believe that someone's innocent, but you don't, you don't see how you can win, then you, right. you can't take that case. Right. Right. Well, what have you noticed in? Because like, like I asked you, what year was all that? And you said 1990. Did you notice things more recently? Yes. Less like less uh, falsified that way. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're less falsified now. I'd say that the. Rate technology and the <clears throat> well, the technology is advanced. I mean, the DNA data bank is, is, was created, which didn't exist when I was originally convicted. Um, DNA did, but not the DNA data bank. But um, so that part of technology is is advanced. But uh, you know, DNA is only available in five to twelve percent of all serious felony cases. So DNA is not an option for most cases, so it can't prevent wrongful convictions in cases now if the DNA if there is no DNA to test. But there's certainly a lot more uh, organizations that are doing this kind of work and individual lawyers who are doing this kind of work. So uh, the rate of exonerations, there's much more people being exonerated now per year than were before. Um, so, uh, I mean, and, and I think that each person that makes it out makes it just a little bit easier for the next person to make it out. Like so, the judges are more open to considering innocence claims the more that they, this word reaches of them of other people who have been exonerated. So you're out 12 years now. I'm out 12 years now. And you were in 16 years. Correct. Are you going to have a certain celebration once you hit 16 years out? Do you have a, a plan for that? I, I, I haven't thought of it until just now. Maybe we'll, uh, we will we will hang out on that. Th- th- we should we should hang out. <laughs> I hope on so. That I hope so. We should. Yeah, for we should. sure. Yes. I. Yes. That's so that's so funny because like uh, you hit certain milestones where you're like, oh, I've been this longer than I've been that or whatever. Right. So right. Well, so far I've been home less time than I was wrongfully imprisoned. Right. So now that's for sure. Once it hits that that moment where 
you're, it equals out. You measure out how much good you've done. Right. Like, that's, that's something. That's something. Like, you, you, that's the chair. Yeah, just for anyone who's listening. <laughs> anyone listening, if you think I farted or something, it was the chair. But, uh. <laughs> it's true. You know, one of the ways, you know, so one of the questions I get a lot, you know, is, uh, you know, how, how did you survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or even, yeah, I mean, how, how did you make it? You know, so, I mean, definitely belief in God was one thing. Um, I used to collect, um nature scenes and I would you know paste them on the wall and I would you know look at them and uh, I would listen to sports talk radio but it wasn't really listening to sports talk radio it was like a lifeline to the outside yeah I used to go to the law library and learn the law and that gave a sense of uh, empowerment I would read about other people being exonerated sort of a light at the end of the tunnel correct yes Mm -hmm. And speaking of that light at the end of the tunnel, I would I would collect uh, articles about other people being exonerated, mm-hmm. and so that would inspire me to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I um, took advantage of the educational programs that they had, so I got the GED, I got the associates uh, before they cut the funding for college education for prisoners. I did another year towards the bachelor's, and then they cut the funding. Uh, I did other. I read. I read a lot. I read like three or four nonfiction books a week from 1998 to 2006. So wow. I learned a lot that way. Uh, and another thing was, I mean, I uh, sports was very important. I mean, I wrote an op-ed in, that got published in Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I saw, yeah. I saw I was, you sent me the. I think you sent me the link to that, or I, I did. or just me stalking you. I saw. <laughs> well, I share it, so I'm very very open. I don't know, I wouldn't call it stock stalking, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, the nifty title was uh, you know, The Most Captive Audience. Right. And so in an article I discuss uh, role of sports and my surviving my ordeal and the role of sports in prison. And so I, uh, one of the things with sports that I did was that, I mean, I engaged in this elaborate delusion that, like, um, you know, I was a professional player. I would play basketball or ping pong or uh, chess, that I was a professional player and that... Uh, that the other people on the sidelines were um, were professionals also, and you know, one recreate the gym was like for road games, and this armory type of place was like home games, and so I had this big delusion, you know. But it wasn't really like kids fantasizing about um, you know being being an athlete or being a wrestler or something. It was, when they grow up, it was more of like I couldn't deal with being inside. So, so, so you were giving yourself solution. a narrative, yeah. Giving myself a narrative, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the other things. Speaking of wrestling, you know, there there was a crossover though between my surviving my experience and wrestling in the sense that in 1997, um, Elmira allowed the prisoners to get televisions in the cells. We had a few channels. Oh wow, cool! And so every Thursday, uh, well, we had recreation every every other night. Mm-hmm. So twice a month on Thursdays. Uh, I think it would be like around eight o'clock. I would watch. Uh, I would watch SmackDown. Mm-hmm. I would watch WWE SmackDown. So I used to watch wrestling, and I would always get a get a kick out of it. And I always loved the skits and the storylines and everything. I, I even enjoyed that even more than the matches. And then I, I remember would... the first SmackDown. I remember it like it was yesterday. Like such a fan, such a fan. I remember Shawn Michaels special guest referee a match between The Rock and Triple H. And The Rock went to hit the people's elbow. Yeah. And then when he went for the run, Michael super kicked him. And I still remember that like it was yesterday. Smack, the first SmackDown. 
<laughs> so you know, yeah. for those few hours, mm-hmm. for those few hours, you know, I mean, uh, 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 again, I would leave the prison and I could hear the other prisoners. You know, you would hear people like laughing and the programs on. And everybody was kind of leaving, mm-hmm. you know, just just uh, just 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 enjoying it. So that was another. Uh, that was another, you know. That I was, was another. I was watching this documentary on Netflix about prisoners. Okay. And uh, there was like a like a men's, and then there was like a women's, and they would like somehow communicate to each other through screaming through the toilets. Wow! Did you ever hear something like that? I, I have not heard of anything like that. No. Like when <laughs> like, I was in prison, sometimes like people phone. communicated through through was a vent. Mm-hmm. To something that not entirely different. There was right. a vent that you could. Scream through, and people mm-hmm. would would talk, uh, you know, back and forth, and you know, people would uh, so like a short note would call they would call it a kite, mm-hmm. and so people would would rip up their sheets like part of it and make like a line like a rope, and they would attach a net bag and put some kind of heavy product in it to be like an anchor, a little bit of weight, and they would put a note and they throw it throw it down the t they would throw it down to other cells in the galley or even. Uh, even like in some of the floors below, just to pass things back and forth to each other. So people were kind of uh, what I'm what I'm curious about was yes. I'm curious about what your relationship like was like. Sorry, what your relationship was like with your family mm-hmm. in the beginning of this all mm-hmm. versus through it all mm-hmm. and then beyond it all. Right, I got your question. So. Um, I mean, uh, well, I mean, my, my, my extended family, I mean, they, uh, you know, my aunts and uncles and cousins, I mean, they only kind of had like a peripheral role. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't see them all that often. We would get together every, every, every three or four holidays, not even every holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was, so they weren't really much uh, of a factor before everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, while I was in prison, they weren't really much of a factor either. I mean, I had several sets of aunts and uncles that would visit me, disappear, visit me. Now, so maybe they visited three or four times in the 16 years. Um, my brother, who's three and a half years younger than me, he came to see me three times in 16 years, uh, not not at all in the last uh, decade. And really, my mother was the only consistent visitor, but the last six years... Uh, you know, I think that the long trip kind of got to her and, uh, you know, uh, developed, a f- things tightened up well, financially El- a little Elmira bit. Elmira is uh-huh. quite a hike. From, it's quite a hike from, from Westchester. Yes, yeah. it is. That is correct. Yeah, it's about, it's about four and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was. So I began to see her maybe like once every like six months. Mm-hmm. In the that, so she was the only one that really consistently came to see. My grandmother passed while I was, uh, while I was on the inside as well. Well, so, and now that I'm home, I mean, my relationship with my extended family is kind of like the same that it was before, but maybe just a little bit more distant. I mean, once in a while I go see them because we're related, but to be honest, there's no real special relationship there. I mean, Well, I mean, well, that would sort of go to, like, in our world, in the pro wrestling world, or in the entertainment business and comedy and whatever, it's like we wind up making the people that are next to us our families. Correct. And that was sort of where I wanted to go with the relationships you built within within the prison. And if you've kept the relationship with any of those family members. Yeah, there's a few people that I um, 
that I got tight with while I was in prison, and I've I've maintained a few of those um, relationships here on the on the on the on the outside. Hmm. Um, but um, I would say, yeah, maybe like two or three, two, like two or three people. I mean, I do. I have a so I have a two family house in the Bronx, and so there's this lady and her son that I met after I was home for two years, and. Uh, they've kind of um, like become like my family, so friends as family in that aspect of it. So in my two family home, they live upstairs and I live downstairs, right. but they're always on my floor anyway. Right. You know, so only, only when I say that hey, I need my privacy, then they'll go to their floor. And other than that, so I kind of like got the best yeah, of communal, both. Yeah. So I got a communal, yeah. got a communal thing that way. Communal living space. That's, that's pretty. Yes. It's pretty awesome. I thank you. I think that. We we are very fortunate that we get to pick the family that is our friends. Yes. And um, I I hope that <laughs> I hope that most of the people that I pick I always I always say this and I and I hope that maybe you can use this too in the past in the future. I always say to people, tell me the five people who hang out with you the most. Right. Tell me the people that you associate with the most, five of them, and then tell me how many of them want something from you. Right. And then find out if you can surround yourself with five people who don't want anything from you except for you to be exactly who you are. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I think that that's a true test of who's a, who's a real friend, who's real and who's who's not for sure. Uh, I, I think another thing, another, I agree with that. And I want to also add that I think that, I think that a real friend is, I mean, somebody who comes through for you when, when the chips are down. That's that's another part of a definition, and maybe another part is that you know somebody who has your best interests at heart, who you know that you don't you don't diminish in their mind when you leave their field of vision. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's 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 weird though because like I could I could be out of sight out of mind with a friend, but. Uh, we catch up after 12 years, and then it's just like nothing ever happened. Yeah, that's another mark of a real friend. Right. Yes, I agree It'll with that. It would be like too. no time had passed, Correct. except for the fact that now you have two kids. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know what you mean. Right. I know what you mean. Yeah, that's another That's another, That's another. another mark but of, of a real friend for sure. But, I mean, people People that are real, excuse me, people that are real, I mean, people that are, that are, that are true, I mean, those are, those are few and far between. Those are hard to find. Those are very hard to find, yeah. Well, like, throughout all this, and, like, I, I know there's a ton of trauma, a ton of trauma. In there, sure. And a ton of healing that, that sometimes, sometimes that kind of healing can happen, mm-hmm. like, without constant, constant work. Right. And you still got to wonder who you trust. Right. And and it, and it comes to like, I know you you have a girlfriend, right? No, I no, I'm single. I don't have a girlfriend. Okay, really. okay, okay. I thought you were <laughs> like what? Because it's it's strange trying to like enter back into that relationship. And I guess I also wanted to ask you about 
like some of the events that happened while you were inside. Yeah, sure. Like like nine eleven. Yes. What was that like there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Well, let's let's roll all these out, but let's do them one at a time. Yeah. And I'll give you the answer because I don't want to have to hold so much in my head. We'll do one question at a time. <laughs> you got to remember. Your, <laughs> okay, listen, yeah. you're my tag. Listen, in this interview, you're my tag team partner. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm giving yeah. the answers. Right. You got to remember yeah. the questions. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you're right now. You just you just. You just tag me in. You just tag me into the ring. So the champion doesn't need to get doesn't need to beat the challenger. The challenger <laughs> needs to beat the champion. That, that exact exactly right. Yes, yes. So when I when I was at so nine eleven when I was in prison. So I remember seeing the the, the planes. Um, so I was in computer repair shop. There was a couple of televisions there in the shop that were that were on, and uh, I, we saw the planes. Crash and the reports that have everything going on, and and um, it didn't dawn on me that these were terrorist attacks. You know, I just knew the planes. It was being this, there was a couple of accidents, and uh, suddenly the guards came in the shop and they, you know, announced that everybody had to go back to their cells and lock in, and so the whole prison went on a went on a lockdown, and uh, meaning they didn't let us out of our cells. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, they even. Uh, had uh, like local police and everything like uh, on one of the one of the roads heading up to the prison. The police had a, had all that like surrounded and everything. Like if somebody was going to come and right. break open the prison and free the prisoners, it was kind of comical in a way. Well, what? I, mean, I don't think that freeing prisoners is like a goal that a terrorist has. No, no, it's <laughs> <laughs> like the least of their thoughts. The, yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, so it's kind of comical. So. I remember there was that aspect of it, but then you know, I mean, in terms of the, you know, the after the after effects, you know, I mean, uh, there was, uh, there definitely was, and this is getting into an area I've never talked about. Despite doing a ton of interviews over twelve years, I've never talked about this. No one ever thought me to ask me about this. So there was, uh, I mean, there was definitely the the, the feeling of patriotism, um, you know, kind of permeated the prison population, mm-hmm. and there were a, a lot of prisoners in New York State who had previously. Uh, been in the military, what, Maria? and so some of them, and I, and I, I knew some of them. Some of them were, you know, writing uh, the uh, were writing Albany. So like the, the centralized monitoring place of all the prisons in New York is like Albany, the capital, right. so the capital, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So some of them were so, some of the former military people, but even people who had never served, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they they wanted to be released from prison specifically for, for the purpose duty. of. Yeah, going 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 to war and the other you know mm-hmm. yeah responding to the terrorism and you know the war subsequent wars in Afghanistan and, and, and Iraq and everything and you know of course they weren't they weren't allowed to uh, they weren't allowed to participate but some people had the idea of it I mean looking back on it I mean I don't I thought I think it would have been a good idea I mean to the extent that I mean all life is sacred I mean for sure I mean I value human life a lot. But I mean, you know, it, it's pretty hard to fight wars without without there being human casualties. And if somebody is in 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 prison and they're you know have a lot of time anyway, and they would prefer to take their chance and defend the country, I mean, why not? As opposed to say somebody eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, with their whole life ahead of them, that may may not come back at all, or may come back damaged, with, you know, psychologically or. Physically, I mean, if there's prisoners who want to volunteer to serve, I mean, why not? What's to be, well, who otherwise is facing 15, 20 years, 30 years, whatever the case is, 
why not? But you know that wasn't uh, that wasn't allowed. Well, I'd have to imagine, and tell me if I'm wrong, was the Elmira prison was it filled with people from New York City? Like they had family Most, and friends and yes, people. It was people they cared about. Yes, it, they did. They did have a. They, they did have a percentage of the population there. So, yeah, I mean, well, most of the people there were from the city, though not all of them. But uh, but some of them did have friends and family that were that were uh, that you know worked in New York City, and there were even a couple of people that had family that were were in the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. So, so when you first started saying like the guards were locking every, every, like putting lockdown, and I was like, oh, why would they do that? But people people in the loss, people in a shock, people in, you never know what all those people are going to do if they. You know, yeah, but what fear. do you think that they're going to do, though? I mean, they're going to suddenly start attacking the guards because of that? Or are they going to start attacking the other prisoners? Or do you think that they're going to just all make a mad dash for the prison gate well, to try to climb well, and I think that go over the wall? I mean, what do you think they're going to do? Partly at that era, mm-hmm. from what I can remember, I was I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. There was a lot of racism against uh, Muslims and Middle Easterners mm-hmm. around yes. that time. And I wouldn't know what criminals would do in a situation where you're locked up with with some Middle Eastern, right? Yeah, there were some Middle Eastern people so there. They, they, were, they, got, and there they was faced some, a lot of racism around that time. Yeah, there was. No, it was. It's true. I mean, some of the some of the Middle Easterners and even just some of the uh, Muslim population, period, even the ones that were not Middle Eastern. Like, there was a right. quite a bit. There was a lot more converts than there were Middle Eastern. Right, were, right. Although there were some Middle Eastern. Mm-hmm. But for sure, some of them were... Uh, you know, some of them were uh, harassed by some of the guards, for sure. That that some of, some of that happened, yeah. It's like that's that's a part of from what I, I mean from what I under my my the guy who taught me how to wrestle he served three years. Okay. And he explained to me as much as he was comfortable with explaining to me some of the things about like racism and mm-hmm. things like that. So I would imagine. In a heightened scenario, like mm-hmm. uh, terrorist attack, yes, the racism would probably go up. But you said like the patriotism yes. was what brought peace upon, you know, peace among the outside world too. From what I could remember, uh, right, you know, people people selling people selling uh, people selling like American flags on the on the corner of the street. I remember like buying a T-shirt with American flag on the front of it, like right down the street from my house. Yes, it's just like everybody was like, "Okay, we're gonna wear flags, and everyone's gonna do flag things." Right. Just, what the, the world has changed so many times, and you missed uh, so much of that. Correct. So, for example, the internet, cell phones, mm-hmm. GPS, these um, different methods of banking. That's, you know, all that stuff, you know, I, I had to learn all of that. I, emails, I had to learn all of that I, mm-hmm. uh, when I was released. So there was all those technological things, but then also the culture was much different. Did you feel like Austin Powers when he came out of the, out of the cryogenic sleep? I did. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> I mean, look, totally disoriented, You're thinking from the thought processes from way back when, not... Fully understanding everything, somewhat disoriented. Yeah, I did feel like that. I did. It, it took a long time to, uh, between the combination of the technology and the culture, and then also 
different cities and towns not looking exactly the same, like having new buildings and houses and structures while have still retaining some of the old ones. So mm-hmm. it felt like I was in some sort of um, alternative universe world, right. one that I didn't quite fit into, one that I didn't, 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 didn't belong in. But I found that uh, the more time goes by, the more I feel like it's more normal and natural to be mm-hmm. in the free world. Right. But also, uh, the more I understand the technology, the more tied in mm. I feel. Right, we're dependent. We're dependent. And, yes. And it's, it's oh man, it's tough to break that dependency. Like, we're so spoiled by everything is so like, what is the answer to that question? Oh, let me look it up real quick. Like, that they, you don't have to think about anything for longer than a, a, the couple seconds it takes to type in the answer in Google. Right. Yes, living in the information age. Right. You see, a, a, a scratch for every itch. That's true. The second the itch happens. That's that's true. Yes. But, uh, do you? Is there any parts about prison that you miss? Yes. You want to tell yes. me about those? I do. I will tell you about those. Yes. So, what I miss is that. I had plenty of activity partners in there. So there was the basketball community. So that was the people who I used to play basketball with. And there was people in the chess community. And there was people in the ping pong community. And, you know, it would be easy to find. You just go to that area and you ask for the next game and you play. And then, you know, you see everybody who played before you and that's on the sidelines. They see you. And now the next time you go out and you see them, hey, you, you want to play? And so, uh, you know, it, it, I had no shortage of people to, you know, uh, play basketball with or play ping pong with or, or play chess. There was other people that I used to talk about sports with. There was some people that we would watch sports on television. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a similar type of circle or activity partners out here. Where is that common area during that certain time where everybody is? You know, so I don't, I, there, there isn't that. And, and the other thing is, I mean, it's much more structured in prison. So out here, I feel like there is not a general commitment to living a balanced life. That people just, you know, they come home, they eat something, they watch an hour or two of television, and they go to sleep. And then they get up and do, it, do that again. So they're not thinking about social, they're not thinking about recreation. You know, everything seems to be extremely work-oriented. Or, or um, so, you know, I mean, I, so it's not, and you, so it's not the same thing. That part of it, uh, that part of it, I, I, uh, I, that part of it, I miss. Well, there's, a, there's a, your body being a machine and being trained for like, you wake up, you eat now, you do this activity here, and this is your time for this. And it's like, I guess like uh, people come out of prison jacked sometimes because their body's the machine and it's been programmed that way to. Uh, hit that that structured mark the entire right. time. So, like we, you know, we're so laxed on that in, as a world, as a I mean, yes, first world, I guess. Like, do you see now? And this is a uh, kind of off topic. And like you said, we're tagging okay. in, we're tagging back in, we're tagging back in. Okay. So, when it comes when it comes to when it comes to drug charges. Okay. With places now where it's not illegal, 
like it used to be. Yeah, they've marijuana. They've decriminalized right? marijuana. Correct. Do you get a lot of submissions for that? No. No, I, I, I don't because we, 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 uh, we're just taking actual mm-hmm. innocence cases mm-hmm. uh, so that, where a person hasn't committed the crime. Mm-hmm. That having been said, um, you know, I think that you know, anybody who you know, is currently doing time for marijuana, I think that it, they should be released. Because you know, there's states that are that are legalizing. I think it's. I think their records should be automatically expunged. But going a little bit deeper into the topic, uh, I think that. Uh, well, I remember when I was in prison that you know I, there were a lot of people in prison that you know I, I, I felt you know did, didn't need to be there. So there were a lot of nonviolent offenders there. So I mean, I think that drug usage, uh, not drug dealing, but drug usage. Is really a public health problem, so people should get rehab and treatment rather than incarceration. Mm-hmm. I, I think I feel the same way about non nonviolent uh, offenses. You know, I, I think from from community service to restitution to alternative forms of both punishment and rehabilitation. I don't think that prison should be incarceration shouldn't be the answer to everything. And as a society, I feel like we are over dependent on that. And uh, certainly uh, when it comes to elderly people in prison. So I remember seeing a lot of, you know, uh, uh, people who were elderly and many of whom had very serious illnesses. And, you know, the prison is really not equipped to, to, to deal with geriatrics and, you know, their, their, their medical capabilities are limited. So I think that, you know, elderly, the elderly people really should, should be re- released from prison. Um, you know, people, they say people age out of crime, which right. I think that there's... You know, definitely truth to that. And then there's people there that, you know, that uh, maybe are not elderly, but they've been in for a significant amount of time, and maybe their crime was 10, 15, 20 years ago when they were much younger and they're older now, they're changed and rehabilitated. You know, they were people I felt like were much different than when they first entered the prison. It didn't appear to me that anything positive was was uh, going to be accomplished by continuing to incarcerate them for another five or ten years that they had left on their sentence. So I think that there is a segment of the prison population who's in prison for serious violent crimes that, you know, can demonstrate that they're rehabilitated. And and I I think when it doesn't make sense to incarcerate them anymore, I think that they should be released. I mean, in New York, for example, it it costs $65,000 a year to incarcerate somebody. So if someone's been rehabilitated, their crime's like 20 years old, they're a different person now, and their educational and disciplinary record can demonstrate that. What is to be gained by spending another $650,000 on them for another 10 years? Why not release them, you have them supervised, and now they're going to pay taxes rather than being a tax drain? Right. So all those things on the on the inside of the prison population, I mean, there were, there were people that were sentenced under drug cases, not not marijuana, but more than I mean New York had the Rockefeller drug laws where people could get ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty years for having a small percentage of drugs that was just arbitrarily a little bit bigger than a smaller amount which would make it a misdemeanor. And some of those people with those sentences, ten, fifteen, twenty years, they had more time than prisoners who were there for committing violent crime. I knew people there for killing people. That had like a 5 to 15, and other people are there for like 15, 20 years on a drug case, and just the disproportionality struck me. Yeah, it's the like, sheer injustice it's like, of um, it. 
proportionality. Certain law enforcement or uh, uh, judicial systems look at like kind of like quote unquote criminals. Yes. Like like war profiteers. Yes. The prison industrial complex. Right. Like they would look at keeping someone in prison because it makes them more money. Uh, right, taxpayers. Correct. Well, an example of that was when there was the movement to change these Rockefeller drug laws, which were changed. Now, it didn't. It they didn't change it all the way. There's still some people still in there should not be, but it did help some people. But when that was a hot topic being debated, discussed by the legislature, the correction officers' union, for example, opposed that change because they knew that that meant that people would be going home sooner. Job security. And yeah, job security. And that would all ultimately translate into less less jobs, so yeah. they were worried about job security. So that's an example, you know, of that. But I but I mean that that's such a that's such an unseemly, unethical thing right. to me. And it's so it's so buried beneath so many other layers that that people just let it fly through. It's right. there's so many other injustices uh, stacked upon that, where you're a needle in a haystack trying to figure out which one of those things you want to get to first. Yes, and I mean, I sort of wanted to ask you about if any of the personal relationships that you made inside made you like want to use your company now to to go back and try to see some of those people that you said you don't think needed to be there. Like some of the the personal relationships you had with people, your communal, your communal relationships that you had with these people, did you ever like consider like do you write these people? Do you um, talk to these people? Well, I've talked with them when I I, I mean I, I do go inside of prison sometimes for different events, and so I do see people. Uh, some that way, literally. You know, in fact, when I go in for whether I'm going in for an event or if I'm going to visit somebody, I always look around. I'm trying to see is there a, mm-hmm. a guard that I recognize or a prisoner or something, mm-hmm. uh, something, uh, some, something like that. Um, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the people that didn't really belong, that you know, that been rehabilitated. I mean, I haven't really. I haven't really thought. I mean, there's been a few people that I mean, I've I've tried to get the governor to, you know, commute the sentence, you know, but I wasn't I wasn't successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I haven't really thought about how I could, I mean, because that's a different thing. I mean, I'm trying to get some, I'm trying to raise some funds to get other money into my nonprofit to, you know, try to free innocent people. And, you know, that that's been kind of a challenge. You know, trying to trying to build a donor base and trying to find other. Uh, you know, board members and trying to find celebrity spokespeople. So my problem is that, you know, I'm in the position in life I'm in as a result of doing this, uh, the, the lawsuit. I didn't come up by 10, 20, 30, 40 years in business with people. So my challenge is that I need to find people who can serve as connectors to people who can help in one way or another. So that's been hard to try to raise money. I mean, I started the organization with some of the money that I got, but you can't self-fund forever. I did that for three and a half years, and then I had to, like, my financial advisors ready to kill me, you know, and I had to stop because I want to go back to not having anything. 
But I guess, you know, but, but I, you know, I really want to, again, have full-time staff. That's the real way to do this, uh, you know. Um, but tying that into the question that you, that you asked me, I mean, it's been kind of a challenge to, it's been a challenge to try to raise funds to try to help free other innocent people to take on a second cause at the same time. I mean, I think would be a lot. I think that it would be. Yeah. I think that it would be a lot. So I mean, I can't be all things to all people. Right. You have to pick and choose. I have, unfortunately, I have to pick and choose. So, so I something to... something you just said make, made me think of a recent thought I've been having a lot about when it comes to reaching out to people to have them on my podcast. And I say to them, "Look, it's going to do a lot less for you, I'm sure, than it's going to do for me. Like there might not be a whole lot in it for you. Maybe I'm not that." that established yet the same as you're saying like I've, I, I haven't had time to build 20, 30, 40 year relationships with these people I don't really know them that well I don't really have the um, business acumen or the rapport with the 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 committees that could super, sort of overturn these things mm. uh, that it's funny how like I said in the beginning I said we're we're the same animal wearing different clothes. Correct. We're definitely, we're definitely, I think you and I are on a very similar wavelength. Yes. Um, I think, I was thinking about asking you if you were in any kind of therapy and if that was something yeah, that was offered question. to you. Yeah, so that was not offered to me by like the, the system or the state when I was home. They don't offer anybody anything, which is part of the problem. I mean, I think that when someone is exonerated, they should be given, you know, housing, cost of living, doctor, dental, dental, um, mental health services, job training, job placement, public transportation. Um, they just release you without anything. Like, it took me five years before I was able to be compensated, and so I was uh, struggled financially. I nearly ended into a homeless shelter, and I was never able to obtain gainful employment because... You know, the technology had passed me by. You know, uh, usually it's easier to get a job when you're already employed than to go from no job to a job. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and all these employers all seem to want somebody who could hit the ground running rather than being patient for it. some on-the-job training. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that being the general scenario, coming, zeroing in on your specific uh, question. So I did, I did therapy... I mean, I, I, we, my lawyer found a therapist who was willing to work on a lien. Like, he, the therapist took a chance at, by agreeing to get paid if and when I won my lawsuit. Mm -hmm. But it paid so off for because pay, I did. Yeah. It was deferred payment. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but, um, so with, that, with that arrangement having been in place, uh, the, the direct answer to your question is that I did... Uh, four hours a week of therapy mm -hmm. for six years mm -hmm. in order to get to the point where I am now mm -hmm. sitting here, you know, talking with you. Uh, it's common when people are exonerated that they have post-traumatic stress disorder, right. panic yeah. attack, anxiety, uh, feeling I haven't been frozen in time. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt well, that you, you, you. I was last so, free when I was seventeen, so I was released at thirty-two, and I felt like I was seventeen. You, you, so casually p zoomed by. You were like, "Oh, technology had passed me by," and like that's just a matter of fact thing that you say. But like 
That's traumatic right there. That's very traumatic. That's something, like, because then you're like, oh, these jobs, I, and then you, you equate that with what your worth is. Right. And you have to unbox everything. Like, you, you not only not only served this time, but you lost family. You lost yes. community outside. Correct. Yes, I, yeah, exactly right. I lost family. I lost community. You know, the social, rebuilding the social aspect to my life has been what I think is the, is the biggest, uh, is, has been the biggest challenge. I mean, I still, you know, just in terms of common interests, you know, I, I still want to throw a ball around. I still want to go on the bumper cars. I still want to, you know, go to some wild party at night. I want to go to other countries and I want to go to other states and I want to do lots of energetic things that involve a ball and, mm -hmm. and stuff that doesn't. But who are my peers? Who, who's going to do that with me? I'm 45. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm 25, 26. Yeah. Uh, who are the other people my age? I mean, that, they're not into that. They're they've part, evolved, yeah, they've they're, evolved through it. They've evolved through it. Right. So then I got to find people who are younger, but then you know I don't I don't really fit in there either. When I, I mean the I don't really fit in there either, and they don't really have the maturity level that I have either mm -hmm. in some you know in some in some aspects. And I found that a lot of people. You know, they, they have most of their primary and secondary relationships already established. Right. So there isn't much space for me mm -hmm. other than to be somebody on the peripheral. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, another aspect of this problem, uh, you know, you asked me if I have a girlfriend. So tying that to what we're talking about, uh, one of the, part of the stigma that, that I uh, face is not really guilt or innocence because I was exonerated, the state agreed I was innocent. The actual criminal was caught, arrested, convicted. Uh, a study was done on my case, what went wrong. So no one really, for the most part, questions my innocence. The stigma comes in. Uh, you were incarcerated for 16 years wrongfully. Yes. But you were there for 16 years. How much of that rubbed off on you? Is it safe to be alone someplace with you? So on the topic of dating, you know, my background has proven to be has proven to be a challenge. Frightening to Yeah, it has. some people have been frightened. Right. You know, some people, they, they, they do have that worry. Still others, you know, think, well, you know, you have a lot of baggage that, 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 comes, uh, that comes with that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I have had, and it's only, it's only a short two or three questions by a good listener. Mm -hmm. That would, would be all that's necessary, really, to have my whole background on the table. Well, what do you do? I have this nonprofit. Well, what is what is that? What is it? Well, you're kind of passionate about that. Why? Uh, how'd you get into that again? Right. And so, I'm not, I'm not a liar. You know, I, I don't feel the need to share all my business. But I'm not, I'm not a liar. I'm just not. You know, and uh, you know when I have gone three or four weeks, you know, in in, in meeting someone new, whether in a dating context or not, and you know, and I don't share with them what I do. I mean, there's not really much to talk about, and I feel like I'm living a double life. And yet, when that does come out on the table, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I feel like I am reduced to just uh, some total of what happened to me instead of, you know, Jeff's an advocate. He's got meaning in his life. This is his cause, and what motivates him is this is what happened to him, but he's more than that. But... Uh, you know, but I get, I've got, I got reduced to that sometimes, and that all those things have come up, 
you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the by uh, dating life and not having a girlfriend. And, you know, the years I was supposed to be learning approach dynamics, you know, in different settings. Right, like I social not, skills. Social, right, exactly. So, I mean, if I catch someone looking at me, mm-hmm. or if they start the conversation or they're otherwise, uh, you know, uh, communicate to me they're friendly, then I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But for me to just... You know, approach somebody or just start a conversation or how do you, you know, if you see someone you're attracted to, how do you like express that if they're not giving you any kind of feedback? Right. Well, like if it. I was on a beach, I would never be able to just go up to somebody else sitting there on their towel by themselves and try to strike a conversation. I would never be able, well, I don't know how to do that. Dating in the age where you were released, so you were 32 when you were released. Correct. Dating anyone at that age is tough already because everybody's got an established like husband everybody's got a uh, you know a spouse of some sort or kids uh, or kids which i'm not ready for the right. whole instant insta right. family Inst- thing yeah there's there's so many layers to it that it's difficult it's so th- that made me go like cuz you said the the person who did commit this murder mm-hmm. who did the crime that right. you were convicted of do you ever think about like what you'd say to this person? Do you ever think about? Do you have anger towards this person? Do you have anger towards the whole thing, or is that anger forgiven? Yeah, that 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 anger is gone because I want to enjoy my life as much as I can, and I don't think I can do that if I'm this angry or bitter person. Mm. So there's that aspect. The other aspect is that I feel like I lost so much already. Mm. Why would I want to, in effect, right. uh, give the rest of my right. life? You just and waste. You just, just waste, waste a lot right. of energy. In a lot of ways, I feel like my best revenge, if you want to call it that, is to live my best life, you know, and to live as meaningful a life as I, as I, as 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 I can, and to, and to make a difference. And to, I need to make my suffering count for something, and. You know, so if I can, you know, free someone or change a law or whatever I can do, I mean, that's all healing, you know, and, and uh, that's the vehicle. I take that energy that I would feel and I channel it, you know, into into that uh, into that uh, into that work. I'd say you're, and this is not not just supposed to sound like a compliment, but this is this is like matter of fact. You're such a one in a million. No one has met anyone like you. Most people have not met someone who's been exonerated. So when you say the word exoneree and you try to explain it, it's such a foreign concept to even understand to most people who that's so far outside of their realm of what's possible because they've lived their lives the way they lived them and never even imagined putting themselves in someone else's shoes who's lived through this. So empathy sometimes is not as easy to come by when someone thinks they made up their mind about somebody who, you said, spent 16 years. So they're like, oh, well, you were there. What rubbed off on you? What, you know, what... Did you adopt that thinking? What about those mores, that whole culture? And, you know, are you changed now? You know, or, you know, I got to be concerned. And there's been people, well, I got to be concerned about my safety. There's been people who told me, like, I remember once, um, you know, I did a speaking engagement at the uh, Ethical Cultural Society. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, this lady came up to me, and we were chit-chatting, you know, and she offered to give me some tutoring on computers, so prove my computer literacy, because that passed me by. Right. And so we uh, made plans to meet up, 
and uh, in a library. And when we met up at that library, she shared with me that she had just casually mentioned to a friend of hers that she was going to be meeting with me to give me some tutoring. And I guess the friend thought that he was giving her some good advice and was concerned with her welfare. Well, you know, make sure you stay in a public place with him and, you know, you don't go be alone anywhere and... Uh, you know, so so there was. I know that there are there is some segment of the population, and that, yeah. that, that, that 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 feels like that 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 stigma that I referenced it rub off, and that does frustrate me. Mm-hmm. Even just sitting here talking to you about that, I mean, I feel the frustration comes just in in, in that because you know, I'm just as much of a law-abiding citizen as anybody who's never been arrested for anything. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was innocent. You know, I had never been arrested for anything before this. And I've been home for 12 years. I've never been arrested since then. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm no different than anyone else that's never been arrested, except that I was arrested for something I didn't do. Well, here's the cool thing. Mm-hmm. You get to be that male role model that you never had. Right. And I think it's great. And uh, when I did say you were one of a million, I mean that in a compliment way, too, because I'm, I'm, way, I'm yes. glad to have met you and uh, Thank you. for us to be able to sit here and have this conversation. And I hope, you know, if it helps one person just to hear this and to be able to reach out to you. Um, and It'll be what will have been worth it, yeah. And I know, you know, there's been people... There's been people who have been exonerated, and I've bumped into them. Because when you move in certain circles, sooner or later you beat, you beat everybody. It's like, like wrestling, right? right? Sooner or later, I mean, you know, I, I mean, you work for capital, and you've bumped into wrestlers sooner or later one way or right. another way. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in that aspect, I've bumped into people uh, over the years, and I, I'm sure I will continue to bump into people. And some of them, you know, have come up to me and said, man, you know... Um, yeah, I've been exonerated also, and I just wanted you to know that, uh, you know, you were a motivation for me. You kept me going. Some people have said, yo, I had I had your picture. I had your yeah. picture up on the wall of the cell, and I used to see you every day there. Really? And, uh, you know, that encouraged me to keep going. You know, other people have said, yeah, you know, I wrote you. I was looking for help. You, you know, I know you had like a million and one people writing you. You never got to my case I understand that. I'm not upset about that. I did find other legal help other than you, and I made it out, which is how I'm talking to you. But I wanted you to know, just, you know, you gave me some hope, man. You gave me some hope. I was thinking about quitting. I was thinking about giving up. You know, I, I was thinking about just, just committing suicide, but and I, I thought about everything you've been through, man, and, and you know, I, I just kept going. Yeah, and, and, and so, I mean, I, I've... Uh, I've I've had that impact on 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 people, and I don't I don't even think I understand the full impact. I mean, I want to digress. You know, you mentioned we have unlimited uh, time, so this contest is is not scheduled for one fall with zero <laughs> time limits. Okay, yeah. no, <laughs> so, continuing on. So I want no to share. Restrictions. No on. restrictions. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, there's not going to be any. There's not going to be any disqualifications. False count anywhere. No false, false count anywhere. Don't disqualify. <laughs> Extreme rules. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So anyway, um, so you know, I uh, about a week ago, I went back to Pace Law School 
and and um, I was supposed to meet somebody there, and I had a couple of minor things, to, errands to run, you know. But uh, the person I was meeting is finishing up law school, and so we decided to meet. I decided to meet him on campus in between classes, just as something convenient to him. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, like he didn't show up where he was supposed to be at. But while I was there, I had a few miscellaneous odds and ends that I needed to do, you know, um, so I did them. And then um, when I stepped out of the room where I was in, I was in the hallway. I had gotten my computer fixed, actually, while I was there on campus. And so this lady steps out of another classroom, and so she points at me, mm-hmm. and she says, I know you, I know, I, I, I know who you are. You've never met me, but I've seen your TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. I've watched many other videos. Mm-hmm. I've shared your TEDx talk with people. Mm-hmm. I talk about your story all the time. Uh, I'm actually a teacher at uh, Pace Undergrad, and and which has you know they have a Pace Undergrad has has a, has a campus uh, in Pleasantville and in Manhattan, not at White Plains, but for some reason this class, this undergrad class. I think this might be the only class ever from the undergrad that's like taught on the campus. And, and, and so, so the fact that she was there, and then she says, I even teach about your case in class. Whoa. As a matter of fact, You're my study. next class is going to be taught on your case. Your study. And, 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 and I said to her, well, when is your next class? Mm-hmm. And so she says... One minute from now. So you went. And so I said, would you like to enhance your class? <sighs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I said, I'll come and speak. I'll make it even better. And so we went into the class. And so she showed me the printed materials that she, that, that were, that she had printed up mm-hmm. that was going to be the handouts that day in the, mm-hmm. in, in, in the class. And sure enough, mm-hmm. she had materials there about my case. So I knew she wasn't just blowing smoke. She wasn't just glad-handing you. No, you she wasn't. It was yeah. all true. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, and so I wound up speaking at, uh, in her class. When you do speeches, yes, like your TEDx talk, you said, yes. Uh, do you have everything written out the whole way, or is there like because I I do comedy, I do com- I do stand-up comedy, a couple, you know. Couple times a week is try to get out there as often as possible. Sure. So I have like my different methods where if it's like mm-hmm. oh this this week this day I'll write out everything exactly the way I want to say it, and this day I'll uh, I'll just let it riff for a minute before I get into the prepared material. So um, when you do these speeches, and this is definitely a thing I would love to do, <laughs> like uh, motivational speaking in some yeah. way. Uh-huh. Like that's something I I think that. Um, is right on brand with what I do. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, what what do you, do you have to like, almost like sometimes like, submit to, submit to the company TEDx, like every word of what your speech is going to be, before you go up and do it? No, I, no, I, no, I just had to tell them what I, what I what the general top for TEDx I had to tell them what the general well what the general topic was and what points what bullet points I was going to make and then um you have to stay within a certain time limit I think it's 20 minutes you have to be mm-hmm. like within that and that's all that was required there uh in terms of uh 
Yeah, I mean, that's really your question. I mean, in terms of when I do speak, I mean, I, I, I don't read. You know, I, I have bullet points I might write down on a small index card or a piece of paper. And I just come from my heart and I come from my head. I think about the topics. I write the buzzwords down. I think about what are my transitional sentences. What is the order? And with these five topics, what is a linear way I'm going to cover these five topics? What's the right order? And what is the transitional sentence between one point and the next? And then I imagine myself going through it once or twice. So I kind of like program it in my mind. And that's it. The actual verbiage of it is all going to come out automatically from my heart and my head. I'm almost watching and listening myself right, right. As, uh, as, I, as I do it. So, I mean, that being said, um, I do, uh, I mean, I have like a, I have my standard 45-minute presentation where I cover my arrest and conviction, my time in prison, uh, appeals and exoneration, reintegration, um, what wrongful conviction causes and reforms are. There's a move to action slash tools type of it. But that's the that's the 45-minute version. But I, but I also, depending on what's wanted, I mean, there's, uh, there's other things I've talked about, and I can put something together just on the fly. So I have taught trial lawyers new techniques for defending actual innocent people. So I'm not talking in a narrative at all about my story. I'm discussing different tactics and methods, and I only reference my case and other cases to the limited extent it supports the point. So I'd kind of like do a training or if the theme is we're talking about uh, public defense. So I would, you know, just talk about that topic. But I mean, I've I've geared things. I've talked about many different types of things. And, you know, honestly, the the more unusual, one time I've talked about, I've talked and I spoke in front of uh, a class that was studying journalism. So that was a fun presentation for me because... I don't generally get to talk about that. So I've been a member of the media because mm-hmm. I was a columnist for five years in the weekly paper. So I have about, I've been published in nine publications. So I've got more than 200 articles in print. Uh, I've been do, a do guest. You have, do you have a blue check mark on your Twitter? A blue check mark on my, no, what is that? <laughs> I go behind no, I don't, it's, no, it's nothing. No. So, but, but I've also, but I've also guest hosted radio shows. I've done that like four or five times where mm-hmm. I was the host. And I've also been a co-host uh, twice for like uh, one show that lasted uh, a year and a half and another one that's uh, semi, semi-regularly. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that in a way I'm part of the media. Mm-hmm. So I was able to speak about that in front of the journalism class. I have that sense of creativity and what goes into you know, doing those things. But then also I am a quasi-public figure. I've mm-hmm. been interviewed hundreds of times. Right. So I can talk about both aspects of that and I can discuss, you know, what are the dynamics in speaking with an elected official? What is it about, you know, doing a press conference where you're you're sharing or you're just doing an individual media interview? So, I mean, I have these other topics that I can talk about. I mean, I can talk about other justice things. I mean, whether it's, you know, prison reform or prisoner reentry or, uh, you know, parole uh, prisoner education, you know, I mean, I have a, a wide variety of things that both my personal experience as well as my formal education, I mean, getting the master's and getting the law degree, so I can combine all these things and talk about a wide variety of, of topics, and so I, 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 I like when I get to talk about non-traditional yeah, dude, you're, topics. You're, it's funny, though, you're such a fountain, like, there's just a, so much 
so much knowledge that comes out of you, and you have this whole, uh, you're, you're a look at me, just like I am, a look at me, 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 <laughs> like, when you, you have been through enough where you be like, don't look at me, don't look at me, you could be that, you could melt yourself into the victim of what role you've been de- dealt, and you serve as an inspiration, and uh, I, I, I'm very curious about what the next, the next four years of Jeffrey is. Sure. You know, okay. The next so I'm going to tell you here now. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, taking the spirit of your question. So, here's how I see things playing out. Here's what I will aspire to. Here's what I will work towards. Well, let's say, let's say, let's hit the exact 16 years. Your, okay. That be the goal, Mark, for All right, whatever your you. goal is. I hit, intend hit to, it, yes. boom, right at 16 years. Sure. Sure. So in the next four years, I, I, I intend to work as a lawyer, just taking cases from my foundation and helping to get people compensated after I help them get exonerated. So I intend to do that for four years. Then I want to move back to Westchester. Somewhere in that time, I will move back to Westchester because in year five from now, I want to run for Westchester District Attorney. So I have a real conviction review unit and bring about other policy uh, it changes uh, from uh, drug usage as a public health problem uh, to police brutality to unjustifiable deadly police force and you know and and the other issues we were talking about from you know I mean imagine people going to the you know uh, to the parole board with a letter from the district attorney look we've evaluated their record we think they would be a good bet to come you know this person is over a sentence and so kind of getting into those other areas that way mm-hmm. and using the office to further the policy objectives so I would run for that office in five years from now mm-hmm. uh, if I get elected there then again the right race at the right time against the right opponent because I'm not doing any of it as a stunt I'm doing it to like win uh, yeah, because you, so be, you want to be it, not just try it. Cor- correct. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So after that, I would run for I would run for governor of New York. Mm-hmm. And if you're the governor of New York, you gotta try to hit the Powerball. You gotta run for president. You got to. Why not, dude? I'm playing with house money. This is. The life I was never supposed to have, you know, in the sense that they left me for dead in the prison, never imagining that I would survive that, you know, much less come out and, you know, be exonerated and be able to get through all the the mental difficulties and put my life back in as far as I've come and everything I've done. Never dreaming of this. So why shouldn't I chase dreams? Why shouldn't I try to turn them into reality? I'm going to try it all. and And I believe that I will succeed. You know, you know, so I'm you, going to. I will try. I'm going to put everything into I, it. I think I will succeed. But I, I hope I can lend yeah. you something real quick. Yes. Uh, <coughs> you heard. I've it, never told anybody I want to ultimately run for president. But hey, you got it right. You're on your show. <laughs> well, but why? But why not? I, I, but why not? I yeah, mean, absolutely. Like the amount of awareness and good I can do. You know, uh, bringing awareness to all these issues, and then if I win the. You know, the changes I can try to, some of which I can implement on my own and others, you know, I, I have to persuade other people. But from that position, you, you're in so much better position to try to persuade others and just get an ear 
listen, you know, to to to, to open the ears and the eyes. I, I mean, I I I feel it would be great. I I think it's my destiny. Well, I think I've already told you a couple times now that you're already a one in a million. Only so many people in the world actually want what you want. So the world is big enough and there's enough in it for you to have exactly what it is that you want. So you say this to me and there's not a second I don't 100% believe you. And believing this is going to be the the amazing this is going to be it's going to be great, man. I mean, I don't I don't see for a minute it being a thing that you can't accomplish. Because like you said playing with house money, this is all bonus. In 2003 a friend of mine, Billy, he wrestled, and uh, he he's a re- he was a wrestler. Uh, someone broke into his home uh, while he was playing video games, and they assaulted him, and they took uh, hedge clippers, and they cut his thumb off. That was his out. He could have been done wrestling completely. That happened to him in the beginning of August. The end of August, he wrestled again. And I was standing right next to him as he, there was somebody had a camera in his face and he cut this promo and he held up his stump and he said, this is an obstacle. This is just an obstacle. It's like, life throws you obstacles. That, that in the, the, the timeline I always go, like birth to death, let's say zero to a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Any problems I have, such a blip, like, um, you know, any tough relationship I'd been in, if it was two years out of 35 of them, that's just a tiny small blip. And any doubts that you have, those are just tiny blips. Any obstacles you have. And I took that obstacle thing. When when Billy got his thumb cut off and he was back in the ring in just a couple weeks, I I had the same, the same thing when I had my brain surgery. I was supposed to be done. I was supposed to be done wrestling. 13 months later, I jumped back in. I was like, this is an obstacle. I'm going to be a whole new version of me, a new standard of me, because I'm, I'm the one who, who controls this narrative now. And that's why I feel with you. And I don't feel like there's ever a moment where you're doubting this. Like, that you can for sure have exactly what you want, because this being right here was such a fantasy was such a fantasy correct that you could anyone could have called you crazy yes and you've achieved it right and you've far you know exceeded it beyond beyond exceeded it so <laughs> you know we've never we've never had a president like you before it would just be another obstacle another wall being broken down another another huge 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 step in in awareness in awareness for everything that you stand for. And why not? <laughs> like you said, why not? Right. Uh, I'm very, uh, very, uh, very, very grateful that we've had this time. And uh, I, normally, uh, you know what? Uh, let's keep going. I'm not, I'm not stopping. I'm going to ask you a couple other questions if that's okay. That is fine. Sure. So... You know, you said something to me about your grandmother passed away while yes, you were correct. in prison. Yes, correct. Yes. And 
I was starting to think then about, look, you were still a kid, right? Yes. You were still, how old were you at that point? Like, you were yeah, so, 19? So, so let, 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 still... me, let me, let me, let me, let's do some quick and dirty math. Mm-hmm. So, she passed in 1997, no, 96, excuse me. So, um, in 1990, I was 17. So she passed in 96. So I would have been, let me see, seven. So I would have been 24. Mm-hmm. I would have been 24 at that point. Okay. You, you, you talked a lot about your relationship with God and prayer and yes. in, in prison. Now, do you believe, like, in a, in a heaven and hell, good and bad, it has to be this way or that way? No, I believe, did, did yeah. you open your spectrum? Yeah, I, experience now or then? Now or then? Hmm? Now or then? Well, dealing with it then, then versus how you reflect on it now. Yeah. So how I reflect on it. So how how I reflect on it now. Well, that you want then and now. All right. So let me be let me be linear. Okay. Yeah, yes, yes, that way. Yeah. Yes. So. I mean, I I uh, I went to Catholic school. I, I grew up a Catholic. We were more cultural Catholics than actual practicing Catholics. I went to Catholic school from grades two through eight. I was a altar boy the whole bit. Uh, in uh, in in prison after I was um, uh, there for maybe like six or seven months. I mean, I I, I had been I I made uh, conversion. I I I I embraced Islam. I was a practicing Muslim for uh, 15 and a half years while I was in. I practiced for like a year and a half after I came out. Um, and really that kind of, that stopped me from killing myself. It it uh, it, it uh, gave me something else to throw myself into mentally. There was kind of like a community there. Uh, it gave me some people that were just slightly safer than the rest of the population. And it probably kept some of the riffraff away. Although that became a double-edged sword because, you know, I mean, I, later on in a prison sentence, I mean, I, you know, I had to protect some people that I got into issues of problems that were not my problems, really. But, um, but I mean, it kind of I, I evolved from then to where I am now, which is that, I mean, I believe in God. Uh, I don't apply a label to it. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Christian, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Buddhist or Hindu, but I just believe in God generally, you know, and, and I try to make a difference and I try to make God to be happy with me, and, 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 and that's it, I'm not about a lot of rules or regulations or, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm kind of a, kind of a liberal in the sense of, uh, in the sense that, you know, I have been blessed to, you know, have different types of relationships with people from all the, all those different faiths I mentioned and some of no faith and you know and uh, if it works its way into the conversation naturally you know I mean I've had people you know sometimes I've uh, I've celebrated Jewish holidays with people or I've gone to church or one religious thing or another I mean for other people I was with it was for something religious it wasn't for me but it was uh, it was a curiosity, you know. It was a curiosity for me. So I feel like um, if something works for somebody, if look, if that's what gives you peace, mm-hmm. if that's what you believe, you know, and, and it works for you, hey, do it. 
talk about it with me if it naturally fits into the conversation. Don't wear it on your sleeve. Don't try to convert me. Mm-hmm. But if it works its way in, why not? Because look, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna think tomorrow. You know. But but for now, I mean, I do, I do believe in God. I do think that there's something beyond this life. I mean, what that is, I don't, I don't know. I'm not clear. I mean, in a way, it seems natural that good people would be rewarded and. You know, bad people would be punished. But then in another way, I mean, you know, um, do I really believe that people are going to be, you know, tortured forever? They're going to be, they're going to be in some kind of a hell and fire and all. That's, that's kind of a bit much to to, to think that. It's just a fear tactic. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not really, I don't know what I think about the next you know, life, other than I think that there, I, I, I hope that there's, I know there's something beyond this, but I don't know what it, what it is. I mean, I think about the world, or I think about ecosystems, or I think about how complex the human body is, to think that everything is just, uh, you know, this sophisticated by, 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 by chance, or like evolution. Sophisticated I, coincidence. Right, I can't, I can't, I can't call it that. I know that there's a, a you know, I know that there's something a high, higher power. There is definitely a God, but I mean, but beyond that, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know. Beyond that, I don't, beyond that, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's a lot of things that are not coincidental. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, the episode like what I shared with you about my doing that presentation at that, it was, that was a. That was a class of international students who were learning English as a second language, and it just happened to be you were, in a law you were on the syllabus that day. Yeah, I mean oh. that's not. I don't believe that's a coincidence. Right. No, that's that's totally meant to be. Exactly, yeah. and, and I've had other, you know, experiences. You know, other other things. I mean, even just the fact that I would be involved in this cause now after having gone through what I. Did I mean I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know. So yeah, I, I forgot your original question. I flowed into uh, just like your mankind search for meaning. My search for meaning, right? Like my vision of the my global view of my cloud. How I make sense of you know the world and 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 uh, and beyond. I don't know if it was an original question. Actually, it was just yeah. kind of like I want to. I want to see... Uh, I mean, what? Are we supposed to really believe, all right, that... Um, all right, these people here, this set of people, they do so much good, but it's no good. Because it's the wrong... Because it's the wrong belief. Right, right. I, I know, I can't believe that. I, I, I can't... I can't... I can't go with that, you know? I respect everyone's views. I mean, even running... Con- but I can't think that. I can't... I can't, I can't, uh, I can't believe that, no. Well, what is your, uh, the originally my question sort of was, what's your relationship like with loss? With loss? Loss. Like loss, loss of life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when it comes to, um, you know, our, what do you, what do you, how do you communicate, do you communicate still with your loved ones who you've lost or, uh, you know, have you... You've seen people die in jail, and I've seen people oh. die. I've seen. I, I, I did. I and did. Like, I did ha- having relationships with that. 
Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah, because I mean, people, said, people I just knew. Said, I was a prisoner when I was in prison. There were people I knew that pat that 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 passed away. Just like I mean, now I mean, there's people that I know in the world that have passed away, and it's it's. I don't know what word to say, but I mean, I feel a sentimental connection to to them. I mean, I know they're not here. I don't. I'm not like communicating with them, but. Like, I have people's names mm-hmm. and their cell phone numbers mm-hmm. in my phone. Yeah. Even though they're not with us anymore. I, I have that, too. I, 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 I have... There are some people that to try to maintain a sentimental connection with them, I don't delete them off of my friends list right. on social media, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, for example. But, um, but in terms of loss, I mean, I, I, I think... I still struggle with loss, though. You know, I mean, in some emotional ways, I feel like, you know, people that have passed away that I have feelings for, you know, um, I find it hard to come to grips with that, you know. It it is a small part of me that sentimental sentimental person, in a way. And in some ways, I feel like things haven't hit me. I mean, at other times, I've had regrets. Mm -hmm. So... I remember there was um, there was someone who passed away maybe two three years ago, you know, and uh, you know I, I remember I, I you know I knew them while I was in prison, you know, from 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 somewhat of a distance, and you know there was always kind of like a uneasy tension as between us, mm-hmm. you know, and I bumped into him on the outside, and mm-hmm. you know we exchanged. Numbers. I gave him my card. You know, I saw him maybe two or three times randomly at a few places for a couple of minutes, and we maybe talked for thirty seconds. Hey, hey, what's up? And that was the extent of it. You know, and he did reach out to me a couple of times. He called my office, and you know, after I gave him my card, but you know, I mean, you get caught up in life, and I didn't return the call, and I didn't return the call, and then I, you know, got news that he passed away. Right. You know, and so I. You know, I do have a regret in the sense that, you know, like I never got a chance to really call him and say, look, bro, you know, I know there was always this uneasy tension as between us, but that was when we were inside, man, and there were so many dynamics going on that was so much, you know, so much... Uh, I was practicing Islam at the time, and he was like a radical, and I was not. And so there was like the, that tension at a group we level. Skate- we skateboarded, neon green and stuff. What's that? He was a skateboarder with like neon and hot pink and stuff. <laughs> 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 you know, I never got to say, you know, like, you know, that was, there was so many things going on bigger than us. And you know what, man? None of that means anything, bro. None mm-hmm. of us had the perspective then that we have now out in the world where it's so much clearer what's important and what's not. And hey, just wanted you to know, man, I'm not thinking about that stuff no more, man. And I hope that you don't feel no kind of way towards me anymore because I'm certainly not thinking like that. And yo, glad you're home. Glad you're making it, bro. And hope everything's great. Hmm. And I never got the chance. I never got the chance to say that because he passed before I could say that. Do you ever feel like that's just some human shit? Like, he don't, he don't care about that no more. He doesn't care about that anymore. Wherever he is, you know, 
not a concern. Like, you can let go of that regret. Like, I've never thought about that like that, but maybe this is a gift you're giving me right now, though. Like, that's some... Because I need to... That's some human ego stuff. Like, like, like our egos need some closure for some reason. Right. Like, that we don't necessarily deserve all the time. Right. Like, we need to learn these lessons through, through, uh, feeling these feelings. And that, that, that was sort of a, a question I wanted to ask you too, is because I've been fascinated so, so much lately, and I've probably talked about it on multiple episodes of my podcast. I, I got lost in this like YouTube rabbit hole of like people talking about time travel and talking about, talking about like, there's like, you know how there's flat earthers? There's yeah. time travel, like, there's a whole section of YouTube that's just, like, time travel stuff and theories and all that stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't think I'd change a single thing about anything I've ever been through because I know that I wouldn't be as enlightened or as wise as I feel I am now. Which I'm still learning. I still have work to do. I'm still a work in progress. But up until this point... Everything that's made me the way I am, including, you know, the real hard, hard stuff. Yeah, the downs. The downs, the difficult times, the challenges, the obstacles, the hardships, the struggles. You're saying to me Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't change any of those things because all that factors into who you are now and how you see the world. It's all shaped you. And so based on that, you see the value in those things and who you are today and because of that, you wouldn't change a thing. Is that what so you're saying? would all of your struggles yes. be worth who you are right now? Would they be worth it? Yeah. yeah. Would you go back and change everything? So my answer is that... I think everything is worth it. Into being who I am now and things I'm going to do. Right, the message is that, that having been said though, I can't I I I I, I could not I, I I could not I could not do that. I could not do all of this again though. Right. No, not again, of course. I could not. So that right. was right. three hundred right. to put in perspective, that was, you know, three hundred and sixty five days times sixteen. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could not I could not have well, if that, I could go back in time and not and change anything, I mean, I would like to have passed the mantle to somebody else and just lived a normal life. But that's I, I don't have that option. Hmm. I don't have that capability. So, well, that also led leads me sort of into the other the other question I wanted to ask you, which was, is. What is your relationship like with uh, celebration and ops, like like milestones and things like? Yeah, so I like celebrating. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, like while you're inside, like what they meant to you then versus what they mean to you now, like what right. your new birthdays are, like, right? Like your first birthday outside of. Outside yeah, those of, all those things work. mean a lot. Yeah, yeah. So my first birthday out, or my first Fourth of July, or you know even. Beyond the holidays, I mean, this first experience with this, or this first experience that, or first time going here. I mean, yeah, well, that stuff, um, that stuff matters a lot to me. I mean, because I am, I am kind of a nostalgic 
slash sentimental slash historian slash historical type of person kind of wrapped up in one. So like earlier today in the Pennsylvania legislature, I did get caught up in the historical moment of being in their Senate library and <coughs> historical things. So I am that kind of person. Um, so, I mean, yeah, those things mean a lot. I mean, on the other hand, you know, I am not... Uh, I'm definitely not a, I'm definitely not a symbolic, little things mean a lot type of, uh, you know, person, you know, I, I, I think what, like on my birthday, I would prefer not to get any gifts and any cards, you want to gift me with something, you mean something to me, gift me with your time, come and spend some time and let's have some fun, right. you know, so I mean, that that aspect of it, and I, I and I do feel like a lot of the, uh, you know, the holidays and birthdays have become too materialistic, and it kind of gets beyond, you know, gets beyond the point. I think the original purpose of things is kind of lost. So in that aspect of it, you know, uh, not not so much. But I'll tell you, I get a great joy out of putting on a new Halloween costume. Every year, and I buy maybe a couple hundred bucks worth of candy, uh -huh. and I dress up in my outfit, and when people come to, I love it when they come to my door, and I give candy out, so I kind of celebrate Halloween that way, yeah. and I get a ball out of doing that. Yeah, it sounds awesome. I, I enjoy doing that, and I share those pictures on the mm -hmm. social media. That's great. Yeah, so uh that, 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 <laughs> that aspect of it, uh, I... I, I enjoy, yeah. Uh, so, um, a couple other things. Um, do you have anything that you want to ask me about? Yes. What is it? What is it like being a wrestler? I mean, you get to entertain. The cameras are on you, right? And the closest I ever come in my world of doing that is when I do some speaking engagement and I can see, you know, maybe the maybe, maybe it's either live streamed or it's recorded or I see like a poster or something in advertising that I'm coming or this the event is a picture of me on the flyer, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, that's as close as it comes. And then after that, I've got to tell a story. Mm -hmm. i got to tell my story and then i got to lecture about whatever it is. So I don't really... I don't have something to offer the world directly when it comes, like, and the entertainment. Whereas you, for example, as as a wrestler, that's all about entertainment. Yeah. So, uh, what is it? What is it like being able to entertain people, both like in person and you know, and, and even you know when it's when it's on television or it's streamed on one platform or another? What's that? What's that like? And you get to be another... What is that aspect of it like in getting to be another person, getting to be a character? I mean, you know, you've been great in this interview. You know, I, I'm sure your wrestling persona is nothing at all like this, um, you know, soulful, insightful type of person that, I, that I'm experiencing. Now, what is it like to be a wrestler with all those aspects of it? Remember me telling you, you now are the, the male role model of your young life. Yes. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like I am exactly what the 13-year-old version of me wanted me to be. Wow. 
um, that's how I feel as a wrestler. Um, I feel like wrestling was for a long time who I thought I was. Now it's just a thing I do. Okay. Um, do you feel like you're still trying to make it as a wrestler? Or I don't. Do you, or do you, do you do feel so? Look, this I've arrived. I'm comfortable with my skin. I've arrived, and I'm happy just being this. I don't. And I'm going to express my other myself in other fields of life. Tell me. I don't. I don't. Um, have you made it? No, I have not made it. I have not made it. I don't know. Are like, you still seeking to make it? I. I <laughs> There's a so, there's this song I I quote all the time. It's from the band Incubus. Have you ever heard of Incubus? I have. I have heard of Incubus. And they they say, "Will I ever get to where I'm going? If I do, will I know when I'm there? When I'm there?" Correct. Um, that's that's me in everything I'm doing. Because when you say trying to make it, I don't I don't like to say that I'm trying anything. I want to say that I'm doing the thing. So if I was trying, I would constantly be trying and never actually doing. So I try to. Uh, it's funny if yeah, but you. But you'll be work. putting forth. But trying means you're putting forth effort. You're trying to proactively make it come about, rather than sitting back and just kind of moving along and just kind of waiting for it to plop onto your lap. Well, no. Well, I. That is a. That is sort of. I. I break that down as a. Is a spectator in your life. Versus a deliberate creator in your life. Right. And I'm for sure the opposite of a spectator in my life. And I really hope that... I really hope that I can... I can be exactly who I tell myself I am. Versus being something besides uh, who I tell myself I am. Because I don't like to tell anybody else that I'm something. I just like to be it. And if I come... If I come to a place and I sit in front of a person, I would like to be able to hold space. And if if you get to know who I am within that space, then I feel like I've accomplished something by not advertising myself as something. I don't I don't come in here and go, I'm some pro wrestler, I'm some I'm this or that. Like I, I still I have the same struggles that everybody does and I I still mess up and I still the same as everybody else. <laughs> like, okay, here's another. Here's another one. So here's a, here's here's part of the kid in me. I'm going to express through my question. <laughs> oh, as far as you know, I mean, is there any incidents that you're personally aware of where you know people are wrestling and for for whatever reason, uh, it's you know some you know. People start. People get angry, and so they start fighting, or they start fighting, or you know, start doing the wrestling holds for real. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it's not. It, it's That's not the script anymore. Yeah, we call, we but call the, that. But the, you yeah, worked yourself that? into a shoot. Yeah. Huh? It's called you worked yourself into a shoot. Work yourself into a shoot. Yes. And, and when that happens, I mean, do the referees just does the referee just like try to play it off and they yeah. can also try to and just let the guys do yeah. what they're going to do yeah. to each other but not let on that this is not part of the show mostly yeah that's what they've got to do yeah well they don't have to well is it they have to because that's just the, the show, protocol the show is the show and sometimes you can't tell the difference between the two but so, it has happened so the refs can't tell the difference if it's oh they can't uh, mostly no but if they're punching and kicking and body slamming each other for real but everything looks real like I mean it's not 
Yeah, but I've watched wrestling in person, mm -hmm. okay? Both WWE, Capital, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, it's a lot different looking at it in person while you're there mm -hmm. versus uh, in on television. In television, you can't tell. In person, though, uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of clear. A lot of it has to do with your suspension of disbelief. So... Um it's, it's it, it happens, but it's not happening as often as people just being really snug happens, which snug is is a term for hitting really hard. Okay. Which, you know, we do with each other. That's just a part of it. I mean, you ever gotten angry when someone was supposed to, like, when the, the, the match called for you being punched, for example, and... You know, they didn't pull the punch, or they didn't put enough space. I or, would get, and you, you took a full impact of a blow. I Does that get, ever happen to you? I get more upset if somebody doesn't make any impact at all. Oh, you would? Yes, uh, because I have to. I have to sell that. Right. You know, if somebody throws something at me, and I and there's and there's visible space between me and the person throwing the thing at me, like, what am I? What am I reacting to? You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'd rather I'd rather get hit because I'm gonna hit you. That's <laughs> the way I operate. Okay. Is is there a such thing in wrestling called shooting, where somebody who's supposed to lose the match mm -hmm. decides that they're not for, they're not gonna go along with the script and they they, they want to come up with the win rather Absolutely. than losing? Yeah, that happens. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> what, you know, what's it called? <laughs> what is the professional like? Say for example, if you shocked then. Uh, when the show is over, could you expect the manager or the general manager to come backstage after the match that day or certainly the next day or within the week to come back there and say, you know, hey, uh, what, what happened? You were supposed to lose and you won. Um, you went against the whole script, the whole storyline. What the hell are you doing? So if you do that again, okay, you're out of here. Your contract's void. You're fired. There's no contract. Contracts don't exist on the on the indie level. Uh -huh. the contracts don't exist. Like okay. it's not it's not a business. It's just sort of it's like being in a cover band. Like it's just like there's you get paid in cash, and it's not really a level of professionalism like that where uh, somebody would come to you. It's kind of the wild west in a way. <laughs> uh, so there are some places where you know. Um, there's going to be consequences to anything you do. Like, you're going to get reinforcement in a good way or a bad way, depending on how you perform. So, if you do that shoot thing, no one's going to want to work with you anymore. Is, is that the so real term? Someone told me that was the term. Is that yeah, really the term, shooting? Yeah, is yeah, what it's called? Yeah, so if you were to shoot on somebody and you... Uh, want a match you're supposed to lose. Right. Then nobody would want to really work with you anymore. Like, you... you do more harm to your name than you do to the person that you beat. I see. Got you. Wow. I never really looked at it like that, but that makes a that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. It's all it's all work, man. We all wanna we all wanna you know get home safe, and we all wanna um, we all wanna put on a good show, and we. I, I mean, you'd hope so. <laughs> Ideally, everyone would wanna put on a good show, and 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 have somebody wanna book you again. Right. If if I did some unprofessional stuff like that and somebody didn't want to book me anymore, that would be my fault. It wouldn't be their fault for not wanting to book me anymore. 
Right, I agree. Yeah, of course. <laughs> when you put it like that, right. yeah. All right. So here's another one. So when when you're you know you, you are an indie wrestler and you know occasionally the established stars or people who were established stars, mm-hmm. you know you you cross paths at them with them. So mm-hmm. for example, in Tennessee, I mean, uh, you know, uh, 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 Kevin Nash was there. Jack Swagger was. Uh, they they, they right, those right. guys were there. So when you see. Other, would you interact? How do you regard? How do you feel when you physically see wrestlers who have you know reached the top of the you know where they're with like a major company like WWE or any of the other major brands? I think. How do you like? How do you? Is is it just like oh well, just just another just another guy in the general wrestling fraternity, or do you feel a little bit starstruck, or do you have some other kind of sentiment or thought that comes through your mind? How does that? How does that play? Take me into your mind. It depends on who they are and how they are. Okay. So, majority of people who made something in wrestling, from what I can tell. You, you know how, like, you're, you they say you meet the same people on the way up as you do on the way down? Yes. Um, I know that saying very well. So, it's like that in wrestling. So, people who made something were just the right place at the right time, kind of people, you know, they were the right fit for the role that they got. It's not like they're a better person or, like, you know, it's... it's is it like they're a better wrestler or no? No. I mean, sometimes it is. A lot of times it is. Yeah, of course. It's elite. It's very elite to be in major leagues in wrestling. But it's not like... It's not like they're in a whole other stratosphere. Because they're still people. And they're flawed people. And, you know, a lot of the people who were names in some way or the other... They're, they're dickheads. They're assholes. So, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go, Ooh, cool, you're here! Because we're in the same place. Like, I did this show once where... Uh, a guy who was a name in WCW was like running the locker room. So he says to what does that even mean, running the locker room? So he was like the booker or whatever. Okay. Like yeah, he was like the producer of okay. the show. Okay. So he was telling people like kind of ideas of what he wanted to see in in the matches. So uh, one of my one of my best friends came in the back after the match, and the guy started like giving him crap about the match, and he's like, "Yeah, what? Why would you?" Why would you do this and that? What, what do you think Undertaker would say if he was here right now? And he was like, honestly, I would. He would. He would probably like. What am I doing wrestling in a school gymnasium in Vineland, New Jersey? <laughs> like, it's like people get so delusional sometimes. So you got you gotta you gotta stay pretty grounded in what reality is. So a lot of my friends, not I don't. It's it's tough to say friends because. Um, people I know, there's a lot of people I know that are in WWE now that are, like, doing stuff, but it's not like I go, oh, that's my friend, or I don't, like, it's beyond me to quote-unquote mark out for these people, because they're just people, you know. Gotcha. I, I hear you. Do, you. do you still believe that one day you will get to that level? Um, I don't think so. Um, they, I'm, I'm, I think I'm too old. Uh, I think I've been around a little too long. Um, I have a little bit too many concussions under my belt, and I've had brain surgery, yeah. so I don't think they're gonna take a chance with all those factors. And uh, 
I mean, if it happens, cool. But if not, I understand. But why continue though? If you think that, if you think that it probably that it probably will not, why continue to why continue to wrestle as opposed to just moving into a totally different life path? Because uh, it's what I'm best at doing. <laughs> like, like I think okay, I think I'm pretty good at I think I'm pretty good at doing stand up. Okay. I think I'm pretty good at doing stand-up. I want to do that. But I'm not certain that I'm good at it. Like, I'm certain that I'm good at wrestling. I'm pretty good at acting in films. But I'm not certain that I'm good at it. Like, I'm certain that I'm good in the ring. Like, it's... And it's sort of, like, been in my blood since I was 15 years old. That's, you know, most of my life. I've been in this more than... <laughs> like the 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 time frames that equal, you know what I mean? The, the, I've been in this longer than I haven't been in this. Yeah, sure. So, so I don't know how to I don't know how to shut it off. It's just such a love for it, I guess. Mm. And uh, I, I'll get, I'll you know, I'll I'll be done eventually. And I think you know, I think I've made the decision to try to walk away a couple times and it hasn't happened so you know we'll see what are some of the non-wrestling things that you'd like to accomplish in the course of your life non-related to wrestling I want to I want to go on tour okay I want to do tour. I want to do tours for uh, as a stand-up comedy stand-up comedian mm-hmm. yeah I want to do I want to get really good at it okay like more than anything I want to get really good at it I um I want to I want to do speeches. I want to uh, do motivational speech. I I am an ordained minister now, so I can wow. marry people. I'd love wow. to be able to do that. That's, that's like I've always say I'm universally at the service of everyone. So if I can offer this as a service to somebody and they want to call me out on it, they want to take me up on it, like I'd be pleased to do that because. It, it tickles me to see people smile. I love it. So if, you know, my, pro wrestling is the act. I get it. I get it. But, like, stand-up comedy is more me. Mm-hmm. And uh, sp- speaking is more me. Podcasting is more me. I would love to be able to, like, make a living off of doing some of that stuff. But instead of, you know, working at a call center. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> you know. Yes. So, that's wow. that's uh, kind of the goal of what I like to do with my life. I mean, I, uh, that that brings me into asking you though. Like, sure. I know you. You talked about not ready for instant family. Did you still have that as a thing you want in your life? Like, no wife and kids and. No, that? I would like to. I mean, I would. I would like to find somebody at some point. Sure. I mean, I think if I, if I think of the right person showed up right now, mm. I think I would not be ready. Right. So, but I feel like when you go through process of dating, that you're learning more about yourself, learning as much about yourself as you are somebody else. Mm. Uh, and so, um, you know. I, and so I think that that level of growth and maturation and, and, and self-awareness, I mean, I feel like I need to increase that more over the next year or two. And I think that 
know, when I'm more seasoned, <laughs> then I think I would be ready to find somebody to be serious with. Mm. And until then, I think I'm not in the right place right now to be serious with someone. But I would like to find somebody to be serious with. Uh, do I want to get married? Well, I mean, I don't feel like I need a piece of paper from the government to validate the relationship mm -hmm. and, you know, the financial entanglements and, you know, I don't think I want to get involved in that part of it. Uh, in terms of wanting a family, I mean, I, w I would say that, I mean, I really, I really like being able to be free in the sense of if I decide I want to jump on a plane, I jump on a plane. If I want to Hey, pack your stuff. Let's go on this trip here on a road trip, whatever. I mean, I wanna, I wanna be able to do that. And your life kind of forever changes when you, when you have a, have, have a family. I, I, I think it should be an intentional decision, not something to do just, just because, just because everyone else is doing it, just because it's the right time or it's the natural cycle of things. And I'm a little bit more intentional than that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I mean, I don't think that I want a family. But that being said. You know, I'm open maybe in maybe 10, 13 years from now. I mean, you know, maybe I could adopt. Mm -hmm. You know, I could get maybe uh, someone who's 12 or 13 years old. I can hit fast forward mm -hmm. on the whole growth cycle. Right. And you don't have to. You yeah, have to let's, let me get right to the part we can stick and I can alter tra the trajectory of your life. And I, don't, I don't have, have to deal with your diapers and stuff. Correct. I don't have to deal with your throwing up. I don't have to deal with exactly baby pooping stuff. the pants and waking me up and crying about everything. No, the <laughs> years on that, no way, Jose. But you know, if I get to an older, you know, somebody that's older, man, hey, heck, it could even be someone fourteen, fifteen years old, something like that. I mean, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I could be, could be open that way. I mean, you know, some people are like, well, you know, I want to. You know, I want to leave my legacy in the world and leave my, you know, genes. And, uh, you know what, it, it doesn't matter to me. The person's related to me. They're not related. Uh, who cares? So what? I think, deal. I think our legacy is more wrapped up in our actions than our, than our uh, offspring. I agree. Um, that's, you know, th that's coming from me. And I, I mean, I'm, I I'm also not a parent. And sure. uh, I, you know, I don't have... I don't have dreams to become a parent, but if I do one day, then, you know, the the lessons, the lessons I teach would be my legacy versus the things the 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 people who they are. Correct. Right. Right. The fact that that they exist is not what is carrying my legacy on. Right. 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 And for me, in terms of my legacy, I mean, I if I could leave the place a little bit better off than what I found it. I mean, I think that's a legacy. I think if my story could be remembered, that's a legacy. If it could be remembered, the, the positive things that I accomplished, the difference that I made, you know, that, and people know that, you know, with with knowing my backstory, I think that's the, I think that's the legacy that I, that's the legacy that I want. Can I make a request? A thousand percent. Whatever you want to ask. Can you start your own podcast? Have you thought about that? I have thought about that. Because, like, man, you have such a such a fascinating perspective. Like, nobody else has your point of view. Nobody else sees the world the way you see it. Uh, nobody else has the context that you have. Nobody else has the... 
has the the pers- you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you can pull something out of somebody who might relate to you a little bit more and have these intriguing conversations that will become like I say this is this is gonna outlive us right this, that's right this is gonna it may very well may live on forever right that's what the internet is about so like if I can on the record right this is I can have these conversations on the record and. What I want to always state on the record is how fascinated I am with you, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, I want to make sure it's said on the record. So if if you lose me before I lose you in this world, or the other way around, one of us is going to have the record of me telling you that you're a special person. Mm-hmm. And I hope that in some way, in the next four years I can be some positive resource to you if you need help if you need help in any way don't hesitate to call me figure it out I mean judgment free conversation never am I gonna do anything but hold space and accept you for who you are and never expect you to be anything else got you no that means a lot and I will I will for sure I will for sure take you Take you up on that for sure. Um, you know, like I said, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do some special things with my 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 um, nonprofit. So I mean, I, you know, I, I need people who can function as connectors. But I, mean, I have no celebrity ambassadors, or I'm still, I'm still trying to make it in the sense that, you know, I want to somehow be like a, I want to somehow be like a household name, but not 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 look at me who, who I am but but instead so that I can be a better tool for the cause if that makes any mm-hmm. if that makes any uh, sense and I'm sorry that I'm not famous enough <laughs> you're giving me a platform to reach people <laughs> my friend but you never know you know who you come across in, in, in your walk of life whether that's you know intentional whether that's accidental mm-hmm. you know but uh, you know you certainly could you know remember me and uh it just sometimes it's just putting a bee in a bonnet in somebody's somebody's uh, mind. Yeah, but no, this was a great. Uh, this, you know what? This was the most relaxed, laid back type of interview that I've ever done. The way I wrap it up every time yes. is I always say, "This podcast is yours now." Let's just say this podcast is yours now. So it's evolving with Jeffrey. So. To wrap it up in a Jerry Springer's final thoughts sort of way. Yes. What has this conversation meant to you and what can be taken out of it so that other people can evolve from it? Uh, a few things. So in terms of what the conversation is meant to me, um, I think it's getting to... I mean, I've never really just relaxed and, and you know, just, you know, got into, you know philosophy of life and meaning and deep thinking deep about things and doing that type of deep conversation like I might have with I've had on a few rare occasions it's hard to communicate it's hard to connect and communicate deeply with people even in in, in social settings but so I, I've had a few but not not a lot of conversations but you did know, you ever see Fight Club? no tell me tell me about that he said you, the people you meet on like airplanes and in hotels and stuff—they're mm-hmm. your single-serving friends. Gotcha. 
So I mean, I, I, that was this, so that was what I've enjoyed the most out of this, and so this kind of means something. This means this means a lot to me because I feel like you know we've made a connection. We've talked about some deep topics, and I like to your vibe and your, your your spirit. And in terms of something that people can grow on, I think I think appreciating the small things. I think you know setting setting goals. I think you know I think. Trying to turn dreams into reality, uh, I don't know, having 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 a plan, working hard. I think trying to look big, trying to look and think big picture, open yourself to possibilities, and maybe maybe not get so caught up in the moment and the daily living that you can't sit back and look at a bigger, a bigger, uh, a bigger, a better, a bigger bigger perspective. I mean, I think those are things, and certainly never to give up, no matter what the challenges are, you know, what the obstacles are, they're just that, you know, they're, they're, they're challenges, they're obstacles, they're not reasons why you can't accomplish something, they're reasons why you might have to work harder, why it may be more difficult, but it's not a reason not to accomplish, so I think that is definitely a takeaway, I think, another takeaway is, you know, never, never to give up. And to you know, look look for meaning, look for meaning in your life, and to maybe try to live your best life, and maybe not to be afraid to think of things like this. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you to give me some links and stuff for me to put in the description. If there's anything else you for sure want to plug, like events or dates or okay, anything sure. like that. Uh, Feel free to get it out there right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. and I just want to, before you do that, tell you that, man, I'm so I'm so glad we did this. I'm so, so glad, and I, I hope that you take me up on being a resource to you. Yes, if I if I can in some way, uh, sure. Happy to happy to have met you, and uh, I hope we can do this again. Thousand percent. I would love to do that. Yes. Hey, well, thank you, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Winner, winners of the, the winners of the match. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Keep evolving. <laughs>